my God. Tell me right now. Two days ago, I woke up and I went to plug my phone in on the other side of the bed. It's on Casey's side, the phone charger, which is incredibly annoying. But, but does that keep you from scanning is. your phone at night? No, because I never plug it in at night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody's um, responsible. I'm irresponsible. <laughs> um, but so I lean over, plug my phone in, and I see some papers folded up on the floor. Mm-hmm. And just like this, I'm going to hand Allie a piece of paper. You're going to open this and tell me what it is because okay. it's really ridiculous. <laughs> Why was this in your house? I don't know. <laughs> this is a religion assignment. That's Bible assignment. Bible assignment. It's Bible class. From your birthday. I know, in, 2000. in 2009. And you got a 95. Nice job. I did. I did. Which I think that's kind of a cheap question that I missed, but whatever. You didn't even answer it. Oh, I didn't because I didn't know the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> So this traveled with you all this way. I have only been in my new house for six months. Three how, moves. How did, I mean, more than that. But between 2009, I had the List Avenue apartment. <laughs> I had my college dorms. Right. Yeah. How did this make St. it? St. Paul apartment, Charles Street. I mean, I've been all over. That is absurd. Keep what? that forever. I don't understand. This is absurd. This is my assignment. And let me tell you, From it was 2009. I still don't understand why you have it. I don't know. It just appeared. <laughs> it appeared on my floor and I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. I don't know, but I had to bring it because it's so ridiculous. And it's weird that it's from my birthday. It, that's, that's super weird. But I bet it was in like the front pack, like pocket of like a backpack or something that Probably. you were moving. Probably. But um, it is weird that it's actually from your birthday. That's the first date I noticed on that. I know. I like, Whoa. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, it was that wrapped up in an algebra quiz. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Great. Which I did not do so well on. Mm. Um, so but... you didn't bring that one, <laughs> no, but um, we're not here to talk about high school assignments. No, we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because a women have nuance mm-hmm. but just so you know we are drinking the entire time <laughs> and you should also know that this is the season finale of our request oh episode the season finale <laughs> every single episode has been requests from our listeners which means 30 different requests which is so cool and it's been so fun and rewarding it really has been and we're only getting more which is really exciting so (laughs) I know we're gonna keep it up and I think maybe now it'll be like one of the people each week will be a request person yes because Katie and I have a long list of desired women that we want to do as well but I'm so excited about weaving some more of your requests into season eight so keep them coming and if you gave us a request that we didn't get into this season trust us it's still on the list we have yes. a color-coded list yes, oh but do. also we're not historians we oh, drink yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're not historians we're googlers and we bring all the info to you on famous women from history yes we do um but before we get into the cocktails that we'll be drinking and the women who will be covering we need to do a little something for you guys just to help you out because 
right now you're hanging Christmas lights all over your house because this is technically post Thanksgiving. So it's in the quote unquote appropriate time, even though I don't care if you do it in July, you can do it whenever the <laughs> hell you want. So because your hands are busy and you can't look at your phone to look up these women, we are going to describe what they look like so that when we're telling you our stories, you get a beautiful mental picture in your head. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing the wonderfully horrible <laughs> fictional Claire Underwood. Mm. And she is a sharply dressed mm-hmm. powerhouse of a woman. I am jealous of every outfit she has, but I would look awful in it because my waist is not as thin. Um, that's not true because you wore a Claire Underwood outfit to Sean and Joanne's wedding and it was ballin'. That I did. <laughs> I was that that took a leap of faith for me. It was fantastic. I did look very good in that. Because Allie was a groomsman, so yeah. she had to wear like a cute suit. It was dress. like a tailored dress. It was gorgeous. It needed more buttons, but <laughs> it didn't have any. Um, so she is portrayed by the beautiful and talented Robin Wright, who you may know from The Princess Bride, Forrest Gump, and of course Wonder Woman. Claire is five six. Um, Robin Wright's like 130 pounds, so 5'6", 130 mm-hmm. pounds. But Claire Underwood is made much taller by her stiletto mm-hmm. heels that she marches around in with like so much grace. I would trip my ass down every <laughs> staircase in those heels. Very good. Okay. She has a super fit body and long lean legs that she gets from all her time running. And she's got short blonde hair, blue eyes, and a very defined jaw with perfect cheekbones. Mm. Yeah, and that really is does. what Claire Underwood slash Robin Wright looks like. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love because, like, I feel like it was a role that made her look so different to me. Oh, because Jenny um, Gump and um, like Princess, Princess Buttercup. Buttercup are very, like, very hippie soft. and yeah. soft and flowy. And this is just, like, rigid, sharp angles. Yeah. Uh, power woman. It's so good. Also, I just love that she is stomping in those stilettos around Baltimore because that's where that show was filmed. Uh, girl, I know. I um, put that in the notes. <laughs> I was like, I need to let everyone know that is not D.C. <laughs> no, it is not. Um, it's too and, busy to film in D.C. Yeah. And I used to live right around the corner from one of their filming locations where they did um, Freddy's Barbecue. That used to be right around the corner from my house. They did Very election exciting. day at the school I teach at. <gasps> that's right. That's Remember right. they like blocked out yes. the name of the school and yes. like, they're in the school. Doug Ooh, Stamper is in yes. my school cafeteria. I have film of it. Oh, my gosh. And where Frank was in the hospital, that's Towson University. Yes, it is. <laughs> the waiting room where, like, she's having, like, a serious conversation. I was like, I study there all the time. <laughs> Me and Robin Wright. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Who are you doing? I am doing the person many people probably wish were fictional, Anne Boleyn. <laughs> so... I am going to tell you the most common description of Anne Boleyn, but keep in mind it was written about 50 years after her death by a real salty hater. <laughs> Anne Boleyn was rather tall of stature with black hair and an oval face of sallow complexion, as if troubled with jaundice. Oh, calm down. It is said that she had a projecting tooth under the upper lip and on her right hand, six fingers. There was a large wen or like a mole under her chin, and therefore, to hide its ugliness, she wore high dress covering her throat. 
also not true. Um, no, there's, there's no, no, no of depiction her. of her wearing a high throat or high neckline. Um, she was handsome to look at with a pretty mouth. That's like the most nice thing he can say. She was mm. handsome. Um, now, what we do know from a more unbiased source is that she was not considered actually the most beautiful woman at court, mostly due to the fact that she had dark hair and it was much more favorable to be blonde. So... We know that she had dark hair, an oval face with olive skin, and she did have a few um, like birthmarks and like moles, which people did consider to be like a severe defect. Um, (laughs) I know. I know. Um, She had a wide mouth and a rather flat bosom. And like I mentioned before, she's always portrayed with like a low square neckline and Mm. like a fitted cap thing. I know there's a fucking name for it, but I don't know. Yeah, Um, I know what you mean. And she always and she like her most famous portrait. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> stop that's like really extreme that's a that's a red alert oh my God. <laughs> guys we just got a red alert to wear our masks in maryland <laughs> that is- wow okay <laughs> okay okay um and in one of her most famous portraits she is of course wearing a very iconic pearl necklace with a gold bee coming down and it has three little pearl teardrops descending from it i mean that has to be one of the most iconic necklaces of all time yeah it just has to be except for the okay yeah yeah <laughs> except for the titanic one I guess. <laughs> you know um, the hope diamond <laughs> that's what i was gonna say or the one that princess diana wore around her forehead yes oh, um and also just to be clear she definitely did not have six fingers because yeah. she would have like not even been allowed in court if she had six fingers no that's another um, that's a princess bride thing that's right true. <laughs> but and also like didn't she have onyx eyes wasn't that something the thing? like dark that. hair dark eyes yeah yeah all very dark features um and you know who i think that she probably looked a lot like hmm. wallace simpson don't absolutely all, see that don't all the descriptions match just like a tall flat bosom dark haired like like olive skinned woman i just feel like she would have killed it in the 20s yeah i feel like <laughs> Anne Boleyn would have been like hot commodity in the art deco era well it's funny too because print uh king henry the eighth only had like a one wife with like very fair hair yeah like, it's like he had a type for like mm-hmm. darker haired women but everybody else was like eh. mm-hmm. but he was down for it yeah he was so I'm ready to get into this. Okay. Are you good on description? I'm good on description. Okay. That's all I think I need to say because it was the longest one I think I've ever done. <laughs> I love a long description because it really paints that picture while I'm putting up my Christmas lights. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Or for me when I'm editing the podcast yeah. while I'm running on my treadmill. Yeah. So can you tell me what I'm about to drink because okay. it looks great. It's a perfect color. It is. It's probably going to be about exactly the same color as mine. <laughs> um, so I am calling this the white Falcon. Um, it is an ounce and a half of gin, an ounce of Pims, a half ounce of elderflower liqueur, um, a spritz of fresh grapefruit juice. So like literally just cut that sucker in half and just squeeze some in hopped grapefruit bitters and you just shake it up, pour it into a glass, no ice, and then you garnish with um, a, like a light slice of grapefruit. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh. Love a grapefruit cocktail. Very good. Mm. It's like just the right amount of dry and just mm-hmm. the right amount of um, sweet. The coupe glass yeah. is perfect for it. It yes, looks it very is. classy. Ugh, I love it. We haven't done grapefruit in a bit. No, we haven't. And I thought it would be kind of nice because I feel like she's just this woman who, like, I feel like grapefruit is a very contested flavor. 
<laughs> and it kind of reminded me of her. And Pims is very British. Um, it is. Um, I feel like elderflower liqueur is kind of royal. And of course, gin is very British. So, and then I, but I feel like she is kind of exotic, like a grapefruit in the mind of like the court of Henry VIII. So, yeah. So, yeah, so that was the inspiration behind this. Um, Allie, what do you know about Anne Boleyn? <laughs> okay. So, she's the second wife of Henry VIII. We have done two of his other wives mm-hmm. already. One earlier this season, Catherine Howard, and you did um, Catherine of Aragon mm-hmm. way earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, she is kind of said to be like this seductress who mm-hmm. like seduced King Henry VIII and like beguiled him as a man and um, eventually gets beheaded. She's mm-hmm. one of the two. That got beheaded, but her daughter, I think, her mm-hmm. daughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth ends up being the queen, the yeah. virgin queen. Yep. And that's what Virginia's named after. Yep. So Pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I know. Yeah. So that is pretty much what everybody knows, which I think is a great point to start off at because her story is really intense, but I also want to make a really big point before I get started that like the other wives of King Henry VIII, the sources all depend on what that person thought of the queen. And uh, there are like Anne Boleyn is one of the most like hated like women in especially English history. Like people fucking hated her. So, and like some other people really loved her and some people just think she's like kind of like this innocent bystander. So a lot of the sources are directly like contradicting each other. They conflict with each other. So if I didn't tell this story in like the, you know, way that you thought maybe it should be told, I do apologize. Um, Because this was, um, I think, officially requested by, I guess, Sazzle 42. Mm-hmm. Because Sazzle 42 requested um, the Catherine Howard as well. Yes, from um, the, the musical six. Musical six um, which I did get to hear Anne Boleyn's song from that musical. Um, which was very good. Um, but the, like, if you can look up clips of this musical, it's so fun. It was written by like freaking teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, they were so young. <laughs> um, so anyways, so thank you. Sazzle 42. I'm so, uh, we love any excuse to cover King Henry's wives. So we do. And great. we're just we're working our way up. <laughs> we are. We're on the zigzagging like, a little bit, we, but <laughs> yeah, we're not going in order. We're just trying to get them all done. Yes, exactly. And I mean, the ones only married him for like four months. So Jane Seymour. Yeah. yeah. Jane Seymour we kind of covered during the Catherine Howard episode. So we'll call it oh, wait, three no, and a half. Actually, Anne of Cleves was yeah, yeah, yeah. that Jane one. Jane Seymour Jane is Seymour's... the one who passed away, who yes. we actually loved and then mourned yes. for two years. Mm-hmm. Look at us. We're like, we say we're not real historians, but we've worked we're on it. We're really putting some good shit out here. Honorary degrees, everybody. Um, <laughs> who's going to offer us an honorary degree? Um. Okay. So, like some of the other wives, again, we don't have a solid date of birth for Anne. Um, many people put her between like 1501 and 1507, like maybe July. So that's what we're kind of working with. Um, she was the daughter. Show of- me what you're working with. <laughs> she was the daughter of Thomas Boleyn, Earl of Whitshire, and Earl of Ormond, and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Howard, who came from a very good family. Uh, she was the daughter of the Duke of Norfolk and the aunt to Catherine Howard. Right. I couldn't believe that when you said that, that yeah. they were cousins. So weird. It is weird and sad, but also awesome yes. that they're the two that got beheaded. That family might have just been cursed. Yeah, I think they were. They were the Kennedys of England. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thomas Bolin was a well-respected diplomat with a gift for languages. He was also a favorite of King Henry the um, Fifth. Wait, 
five, six, seven. Wait, King Henry the Eighth. That's what we're talking about. Yes, I get the eight and the six screwed with me. King Henry the seventh of England. Roman numerals. (laughs) Roman numerals are hard. They really are. Um, Who sent him away on many diplomatic missions abroad. She had a sister named Mary and a brother named George. Um, Original. Yeah. (laughs) Very original. So many people believe that George was the youngest Anne was the middle and Mary was the oldest. Um, We frankly just don't have any proof of it, but that's what everybody kind of like gathers from letters and their life and the way they lived. Um, And we know that George and Anne were extremely close. Not not as close as people say they were later, but (laughs) very Uh close. That's a little... Little teaser for they you. We got a little Lannister fun going mm-hmm. on. Wowza. People say. Um, <laughs> so she grew up in a beautiful little castle named Heaver Castle in Kent, which is still open to the public today. You can go visit the childhood home of Anne Boleyn. And they have this amazing Christmas like wonderland that you can attend. It looks amazing. I wish Americans were allowed to travel. I know. But we're <laughs> fucking up COVID. I know. It's ridiculous. What is wrong with us? That's why we uh, get alerts on our phone. I know. <laughs> Um, obviously she came from a very wealthy, privileged family and would have received a decent education. Uh, we don't know too much about her early life, but the story goes that Anne was exciting, fun, loving, adventurous, and extremely charming. Like this kid was going places. (laughs) Um, we only have one relic from her childhood and it is a book of hours or like a kind of illustrated prayer book. And We know that it's hers because she makes one little note of it, which tells us a lot about Anne, and it sounds very foreboding. (laughs) It says, the time will come, I, Anne Boleyn. And I just feel like it sounds so ominous knowing what, like, knowing what happens to her. If she had done, like, some really awesome things, it would have sounded super cool. Yeah. But... Now it's just it's like just dark. Yeah, super dark. <laughs> like the start of a poem you don't want to hear the end to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when she was a young woman, maybe around 14, she left home and she was sent to Archduchess Margaret's court in Austria, which was a very fashionable court to be a part of. And Margaret is this really interesting like person to be associated with because she held a lot of power and she was very on top of the political goings ons. Hmm. Um she spent some formative years there and she made a really significant impact on Margaret. And she like Margaret spoke really highly of Anne, which like why would any of the ladies in waiting like, you know, even catch her radar, you know, but she would like specifically mentions Anne in letters. She's like, Anne Boleyn's like really fucking cool. Yeah. And it, <laughs> I mean, if you're like that high up, like who cares about your ladies in waiting? Right, like exactly. they're just there. Why are you talking about them literally at all? So she must have like shown. Uh huh. She showed up. Um, But then it was time for her to take her training elsewhere. Um, She wanted to be like a master court lady. And a part of that was being worldly. Um, And then an opportunity came up to go to France and become a lady in waiting to Queen Mary Tudor, who was Henry VIII's sister. So Anne's sister Mary was already one of her ladies in waiting. But it wasn't long before... Claude of France became queen because Mary Tudor's husband died. So Mary, her sister, was taken back to England with Mary Tudor. It was all happened like very, very quickly. It's like bam, bam, dominoes, dominoes, falling. dominoes, dominoes. Um, but Mary did not leave with the greatest reputation in France. <laughs> so, Mary Boleyn. Mary Boleyn. Um, because one of the main things that 
Anne had learned in Austria was that you should definitely flirt with men of the court, but never go any further because it only causes trouble. And Mary didn't learn this lesson. <laughs> so Mary had a lot of trysts with men in the French court. And like, she was kind of like spoken about and like kind of a, you know, oh yeah, that's Mary. She's like easy, you mm. know, and that's kind of her reputation going into the English court. Um, but let's be clear. As a woman, you're obviously fucked either way because one of the Bolin sisters lost her head and the other didn't. And it wasn't the slutty one. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. Usually like, in, in horror movies. In horror movies. Yeah, it would be The slut her. dies. I know. The girl who has sex dies. Yeah, exactly. But, but in real we, life. It, yeah, it could happen to anybody. Flip a coin. We are not into slut shaming. So I want to make that clear. No, we aren't. <laughs> That's not cool. Mary, you can have sex with whoever you want in French court. Just yeah. you because got a reputation. You know it's not your fault. She did pretty good. Yeah. Because all those boys good. were having sex with whoever the hell they wanted. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Anne is pretty excited to be in France. And this is the most fashionable court in all of Europe. And she learns a lot here, both about life and love and what it means to be a queen. I so, understand why people from France are so smug. Oh, my like gosh, after yeah. we've done. How could you not? We're at the end of seven <laughs> seasons. And it's like, I get it now. Yeah. You I guys really were just like, get it. you guys, you, you were you really were, on it. You were ahead. And you're still ahead. It's incredible. What is happening? Um, so Claude of France was a real role model to Anne. She was a good and pious queen who treated people with respect. And she also had a great appreciation for the arts, which actually gave Anne Boleyn the opportunity to meet Leonardo da Vinci when he came to stay with him for a bit, which is so weird because like I wouldn't put them at the same time frame. I'm like, hmm. I guess they were. That makes sense. That's very cool. This is the second time we've mentioned him because mm -hmm. we did Mona Lisa. Yes. Oh, that's one of my favorite episodes. Girl. Honestly, I fucking love that episode. <laughs> I just like referenced a fact from it like a couple weeks ago in public and everybody really? looked at me and I was like, mm. I love that. Mm. <laughs> um, so she also played an important role in the court because Anne not only became the lady in waiting to Claude, but she was her main translator when visitors would come from England. So, so she from is like French to English. Yeah, because she's very fluent in both because people say that she really came of age in France and they said that you would not know that she was English upon first meeting her because she adapted to the French culture so naturally. So she spends about nine years in France. And at the end of her time there, she was very well known as a desirable woman in the courts. And her family is kind of currently trying to find her a good marriage. But again, Anne le does like to play hard to get. So she is like, I'm a woman of mystery. And that's just who I fucking am. She's super coy. <laughs> She's super coy. I love a coy girl. But like if her parents set up a match for her, she would totally go. So they think they have it with the son of this Irish friend of Anne's father. He owns a good bit of land on the Emerald Isle that just so happens to be a contested piece of land okay. between his family and the Boleyn family. So they're like, this is the perfect way to solve this problem. Marriage. Um, lifelong commitment between two children who know none the wiser. So Anne comes all this way, all, all the way home for this guy, but the whole deal kind of falls through. They're like, oh, sorry, Anne. Like, like apparently it just kind of fizzled out. Like there's no Did reason. Did he like not like her? Did they even No, they meet? never met. Oh, they lame, never met. I think lame. people just stopped talking. They're like, ah, I don't care. They kind of settled it like with papers. I um, wish we could handle the Gaza <laughs> Strip like this. Right? <laughs> Am I right? Listen, I'll marry whoever you want me to if we can handle this situation on the Gaza Strip. That would be lovely. Um, I <laughs> offer myself as tribute. <laughs> Uh, I wish we could do the sign, so, but it's an audio podcast. I wish I could. Um. I wish I could whistle. 
No, I can't whistle either. Yeah. That's my best whistle. We wouldn't be allowed in the Hunger Games. No, we wouldn't. We, we would die. At all. We, we would, would die. Really die. The Mockingjays would leave us to death. Rue is like, are you fucking kidding me? It's not that hard to whistle. <laughs> Just climb um, the tree well, and fucking whistle. Well, it is for whistle. me, okay? <laughs> um, well, she died and we're alive. I have odd lips. Um, <laughs> 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 Hunger Games deep dive. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> The deal falls through and they're like, okay, well, since that didn't work out, why don't you go over and join your sister Mary at the Royal Court of England? So when she's in her early 20s, most people say around 21, she is back in England and she gets to the court of King Henry VIII and people are like, who the fuck is this sophisticated French goddess? And she's like, actually, I'm British, bitch. <laughs> Don't you know me? I'm a Boleyn. She is worldly. She's bilingual. She can dance. She can play instruments. She can sing. And now she is an official lady-in-waiting for Catherine of Aragon. And to be part of this court means to be part of the politics of the court. So these courts, I, I still don't quite understand <laughs> what's going on here. And I don't know if anybody really does um, because they could be made up of like hundreds or thousands of people. Oh, yeah. So you had to kind of try and stand out as best you could. There are various rankings and whatever. And one of the higher rankings you could have is the mistress of the king. Basically, the main bitch. So now when Anne arrives, the second main bitch, the second main bitch, the queen is the first main bitch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. she's the main lady, I'll say. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And then I got a main bitch. Um, Just kidding. Um, (laughs) Got that bitch on the side. (laughs) Yeah. She's the main side bitch. Um, (laughs) Never have I ever used that word so many times in five seconds. Well, we Um, just turned a (laughs) hundred new people off to this podcast. Yeah, they're like, I hate this. Thank um, you for everybody for sticking I'm with so us. Sorry. Shall we use the word cunt now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Here we are. Um, so when Anne arrives, the main mistress of the king is her sister Mary. <laughs> and it was, yeah, I know. I know. This is like the whole premise of the movie The Other Berlin Girl. He loves having sex with this family. He does. Um, he's like, they make him good over there in Hervey Castle, now whatever is, the hell that was. Is he still semi-young and attractive? Yes. Or has... Okay. Okay. okay we'll get okay, to okay, him. Okay, 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 okay. Um, but, but it was really interesting because Henry did have a lot of mistresses, but he liked to have one at a time. So we had his wife. And then he would have one mistress that he just like courted for a really long time. Like he wasn't like different girl every night. Typically, I feel like sometimes he went through spells like that. But like typically it was like, there's the girl. I really like her. We're going to hang out. We're going to have lots of sex. And that was good. So he's not like Kublai Khan. No, 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 no. Um, And it was not only a coveted position because it was a position of power, but because Henry was a really fun guy to be with, just like you alluded to earlier, like. He is spry, young, handsome, athletic. Someone described him playing tennis as the most beautiful thing they had ever seen. He is not yet. They haven't seen Serena Williams. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Wait a couple hundred years, sir. (laughs) Um, But obviously that man was definitely gay. Oh, yeah. He like this person in particular. And I only say this because they said this in the BBC documentary that I watched. They're like, this guy obviously had a huge crush on crush on King Henry because he like described him playing like tennis, like so vividly. Look at his calves. Yeah. And there were like other moments where he was like, oh, and his hair glistened in the sun and the sweat beaded on his forehead. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it was like, I think 
I think there's something else going on here. I mean, um, we also just both pantomimed the same exact motion yes, when we, we said glistened in the sun. Yes, we so, did. Which was a hair toss, which makes no sense. Double hair toss. Um, <laughs> um, so he's, I just want to paint that picture because he's not yet the old, fat, grumpy guy that we all have this image of in our heads. Pre-gout. Um, yeah. And I won't say like not officially grumpy because at this point he has been married to Catherine of Aragon for about 17 years. And she has yet to bear a living son. And tensions are incredibly high. Uh, They definitely need one. And everyone knows that you should really have two, an heir and a spare. And right now, there are no legitimate heirs to the throne. Because the sons he has with his mistresses don't count. Because he does have a couple of those. I think one main one. I think he maybe only has one. Um, But another thing that is important to remember is that Henry is becoming more and more convinced that the reason he and Catherine can't have children is because she was technically his brother's wife. Yeah. And if you want to hear that whole story, please check out our Catherine of Aragon episode. That it was, was a so fun. fascinating story. Yeah, because I just, I feel like Catherine of Aragon gets so pushed aside. And to really hear the beginnings of King Henry are so important to the rest of the story. The story. It is. Oh, also, we got a message recently. Mm-hmm. So... We have so many episodes now that Apple Podcasts only holds a certain number of them. Yes. So the, our first early episodes have been bumped, but they're, they're all bumped. on our website. They're on our website. I think if you have like the other streaming things like Spotify or Google they Play. They might be there. But you can just listen there. to them if you just get on the internet and just yeah. herstoryontherocks.com. Every single episode's there. Every single one. So just, I'm, we're so sorry about that, but we literally have no control over stupid Apple because they are a monopoly. I mean, it's... <laughs> don't and it's the same way that like my some of my podcasts that have been around for like 10 years have Mm -hmm. like 700 episodes and you can only get to 100 of them unless you go to their website that's a problem with um this american life too sometimes i want to listen to really old episodes and i have to get it on my freaking computer yeah um so we do apologize for that but it is just it's something that every podcast now goes through with apple um so we're sorry but they are out there somewhere out there somewhere listen if Um, we don't do more (laughs) little mice singing (laughs) i don't know what we're doing here okay um so (laughs) now i think people like to think that Anne got to court and there's this like immediate attraction but that's not quite true Anne had been there for about four years before anything happened between them. Hmm. And she was already trying to marry another man, someone she had really fallen in love with, a man named Henry Percy. Should have done that. Should have done that. Um, They really tried. (laughs) So he came from an extremely high ranking. His family basically owned like half of England. So she wasn't exactly high enough in the social standing officially for him because she didn't have a title. So I like to think of it as Rory and Logan. (laughs) We both have money. The Huntsburgers but, are assholes. But your money is different than my money. Old money, new money. Exactly. Um, and there was also another problem. Wait, <laughs> so she wasn't new money enough to be with him? Well, she wasn't money enough. So, like, kind of how, like, I, like, in that scene, like, Richard and Emily are not exactly, like, new money. They've had money for a bit. They come from good families. But the Huntsburgers have much more. So it's kind of the difference of, like, we live in a fancy house. We can buy lots of clothes versus like, I'm going to buy a yacht today because I want to. I'm going to buy this hotel. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like the difference of like literally buying like freaking yachts and planes on a whim versus like going to a trip to Europe 
on first class on a whim. That's kind of the difference we're talking about here. They sound the same to me. I know um, there's a difference, I know. but I I'm have- a poor person. <laughs> so we have no actual reference. <laughs> um, but I just, I always think of that scene between Shira Huntsberger and Emily where she's like, well, there's your money. Because Emily's like, we all have money. Money's not an issue. And she goes, well, there's your money. And then there's our money. Being like, we have so much more. And then yeah. she calls her a two-bit gold digger. And I fucking love it. And I um, bet they felt stupid as fuck, these Howard these non-Howard people that didn't want Anne Boleyn after she gets married to the king. I know. And then I bet they felt good again after she got murdered. But still. Um, But there's also the other problem. He was already kind of betrothed to another woman that he had been set up with since childhood. So people were like, you're too high to pick your own wife. You know this, Henry. Um, But despite these barriers, they fall in love and they have these big plans to get married. And according to, I mean, society at the time, they were technically betrothed. (laughs) <laughs> because they said we are getting married and same that old, is same like old. I know it's like a legally binding thing and we remember how that turned out for poor Catherine Howard <laughs> yeah uh not well um now some people believe that Anne and Henry had consummated their relationship but there's no real evidence of that and what we do know is that Anne was careful and prudent so she most likely would not have let that kind of thing slide and you can't if you're gonna marry the king eventually you have to be a virgin right yeah Mm -hmm. and here's the thing is like I don't think her goal at this time is to be the queen I don't think that's on her horizon just yet I think she's like I just want to be the best match. And if he is so high up, then like if we start having sex, she basically sees her sex as a form of power. And she's like, if I give that away, then like he could decide not to marry me because like that's already happened and I can't take that back. So like if I don't have a solid concrete like thing that he doesn't have yet, we won't get married. And they didn't, but obviously her and Henry do. Um, <laughs> but again, Henry's dad, a.k.a. Mitchum Huntsberger, was not going to let his son marry a woman of such low social standing. Boom. So he basically like puts the brakes on the whole thing. Henry Percy ends up marrying a lady, Lady Mary Talbot, which turns out to be a very unhappy marriage and like i think she like tries to get out of it later by being like well he was technically betrothed to anne boleyn so like we should just not do this anymore like it was really fucking bad um and then the duke of northampton who i believe is anne's uncle kind of swoops in and from what i understand he basically tells anne he's like look the king needs a new wife we all know that the queen has not had a son and she's getting kind of old so we really need to get her out of here it's just just we need to get her out so why don't you get in the way of him (laughs) and he's like i think you know what i mean and then he like winks a bunch at her um but Anne saw what happened with her sister mary she was like "Hmm, i'm not super interested in being a discarded mistress (laughs) so she's still just like not really going after it and she actually gets interested in another man Um, a poet named Thomas Wyatt. Some people don't believe that anything actually happened between them, but in a poem he writes later, um, he talks about how difficult it was for him to be around Anne and Henry when they were happily married because he's like, oh my gosh, I love her so much. Um, But, (laughs) and at some point she does mention loving him, but of course it could not be because even though he was separated from his wife um, because she cheated on him, he couldn't marry Anne because they couldn't get divorced. So, I mean, it's just like all these like 
precursors to what's hey, going mean, to happen with that. King right? Henry VIII legalizes divorce. Good for yeah, him. Exactly. If he did one thing. <laughs> if he did one thing. Um, but basically, he's like, look, I love you. I want to be with you, but I can't marry you. So the best position I can offer you is my mistress. And Anna's like, obviously not <laughs> interested in that. <laughs> Not my thing. She's not her thing. So then it comes time. She is just like, I'm done with this. And she finally begins her kind of relationship with Henry. So it's 1525. And we're not quite sure what the inciting incident is. Most things portray the meet cute as a super romantic, steamy moment where Anne is like twirling around at a masquerade ball and they just keep staring longingly at each other. And although we don't really know for sure, it was probably something like that. Just her catching his eye and then proceeding to flirt with her. Um, and then one story actually makes a lot more sense to me. So the story is that he notices her and he thinks that she's beautiful and sophisticated. But he only gets very interested when he sees another man at court wearing one of her jewels as a token of affection. And Henry's like, no way. I want her just like a fucking child. <laughs> So this is when he kind of begins a very serious flirtation with the young lady of the court. Um, but he quickly realizes that Anne is different than other mistresses. Um, it's one of the things she says is like, look, like I'm not like a loose girl. Like she's like, we can flirt and stuff, but I'm not going to have sex with you. And this just, of course, drives him fucking crazy. He's the king. He's the king. Give so me what like, I want. Give me what I fucking want. Um, so he ends things with Mary to pursue Anne. It starts off just like they all do conversation, little notes, and then it gets more and more intense. Um, she is intelligent and he finds that he genuinely enjoys talking to her and being with her. Um, he gives her little presents and he writes her these really intense letters saying things like I and my heart put ourselves in your hands. And then they get a little more explicit. He goes, I want to kiss your duckies, which is Tudor slang for breasts. <laughs> They love they love a good slang. They love a good ducky. Um, it got pretty steamy, and it also shows that they were probably doing everything but. So if he's like kissing her boobs, then like they're probably like fooling around a bunch, but never consummating the relationship. So many bases being covered. So many bases. But then there's also like a sweetness sweetness to this time period where he's signing off all of his letters like love Henry, and then he draws a little heart and he puts A B in it. Like it's very cute um except for the fact that he has a wife that he's ignoring the fact of that and is probably has syphilis which is why she can't have babies yeah exactly right so these letters still exist today in the vatican library and it shows us that even though there are some dark forces behind the scenes trying to get these two together or tear them apart they were two people who were genuinely in love with each other um, most of these letters were actually written when Anne was sick at home, um, in Hever Castle suffering from what they called like the sweating sickness. Um, and Henry, Henry was so concerned. And this is how we know that he loved her. He was so concerned. He sent like the Royal doctor team out to like put leeches on her. Um, <laughs> right. Good for you. Good for you. Um, but again, Anne was smart and this is how we know she was indeed cunning. She was like, look, Literally the only way I'm going to have sex with you is if you divorce your wife and make me the queen of England. <laughs> and honestly, this is kind of smart on Henry's part too, because he did want to get Catherine out and he wanted to get Anne in. And 
he wanted to get that male heir. And if she got pregnant before they got married, it would just fuck everything up. And then he couldn't be with the woman he loved. And then he couldn't have a male son, whatever. So some people say that it was totally his idea, but I don't believe it. And a lot of his, like, you know, a lot of people are like, no, this was definitely Anne like holding her cards like she did with Henry Percy. She was like, no, I am not going to do this because I'm not going to fuck up my future. She saw what happened to her sister. Yeah. And she's always thinking ahead. Um, so for years they flirt, they write letters and Henry decides to just go ahead and proceed with separating officially from Catherine. But he didn't quite realize how difficult that would actually be. Um, he legit thought that he and Anne would be getting married in a couple of months. But the Catholic Church was like, no, this is going to be long and painful. <laughs> so it's time to create a new church. Yep. Um, so, of course, no one is trying to really hide anything and becomes quite the spectacle. Um, the whole country kind of knew what was going on and they were not OK with it. Catherine was a beloved queen. And so in probably the earliest version of the team scenario, you could comfortably say that most of England was team Catherine (laughs) and they were not shy about expressing that and their hate for their just the treacherous Anne Boleyn. (laughs) So one evening in the autumn of 1531, Anne is dining at a manor house on the river Thames and she is almost seized by a crowd of angry people and she just barely escaped by boat on the river but like they want her they want her head before henry does like they are so fucking mad at her but like imagine though like imagine all these i mean a lot of these women are dealing with being cheated on as it is yeah and then a lot of these men are like trying to cover up for that (laughs) and they're like this is terrible yeah like the whole thing and and then of course there are actual religious monogamous couples that love each other that are like this is not okay right but it's also not your right to tell somebody else they can't get divorced so like yeah the whole thing it's so messy um and to make it messier like and it's not really like waiting idly by (laughs) sometimes she goes on the low down like there are a lot of time periods where like we don't know what she's up to because he's like hey be low key (laughs) but we also know that she is kind of taking a role like there's this big time period where she so Henry's trying to obviously split away from the Catholic Church. And so he has to get some alliances. So he's like, we're going to go to France. We're going to get them on our team. So that way, if the Roman Catholic Church tries to like literally fight us, then we can be like, look, we already have France. Don't even fucking try. So him and Anne go to France. But then it puts the Queen of France in a really awkward position because it's not Claude anymore. So the girl doesn't know Anne. And she's like, I don't know what to do because I can't greet you like a queen. And this is really awkward for me because I, I just, I'm not going to pretend that we're equal because we're not. And it's just like this really awkward thing, but it does turn out to be really good. And France does get on their side, but there are a lot of really interesting politics about this visit because he's basically saying to the world, Anne is going to be queen and like, fuck Catherine and Catherine's at home. Like, what are you doing? She's at home with baby Mary. Like, ah, ah. So, um, (laughs) she is becoming a very powerful woman in England and a very public woman. Um, because things concerning the King's great matter, which was him separating, were just simply not going well. And he did try really hard to stay in the Catholic church at first. He was like, look, I'm going to go to the Catholic church. I'm going to get the marriage annulled. And the church was like, you can't fucking do that. You've been married for 20 years. And I know you guys have had sex. You have a daughter together. <laughs> like what? 
Um, it also didn't hurt that the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire was Charles V, who was Catherine of Aragon's nephew. And he basically confirmed with the Pope. He was like, no way are you granting in this divorce. And the Pope was like, yeah, 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 absolutely not. Um, so the Pope officially blocks the annulment. And Henry was like, what the fuck? Does me being king even mean if the Pope is above me, I should be the highest law in the land? Correct. Which, I mean, I mean, fair as a king. Fair. 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 Um, which the idea of this also may have been encouraged by a book that Anne gave him called The Obedience of a Christian Man by William Tyndale, who was a Protestant, in which he says, the king is the judge of all and over him there is no judge. Basically saying... The Pope should not be over the king. So Anne gives him this book and he's like, that's what I've been saying this whole time. He's like, this chick gets it. And then he's like, I declare Protestantism. And everybody's like, uh, okay, but like, what? The Church of <laughs> England. Like, in Catholic <laughs> Europe, they're like, uh, what the fuck do you mean? If you're not Catholic, then what are you? And then he says, Protestant bitch. And then he high fives Martin Luther. So <laughs> in 15. You mean my guy? Yeah, your guy. guy. My guy. Um, that's why I had Bible class and you had religion class. Exactly. <laughs> uh, excuse me, the 95 what? <laughs> Thesis. Um, <laughs> um, did all of them just break away from the church so they could get married? Baby. Hey, yeah. Maybe. Um, so in fifteen thirty two he officially Columbus held the ocean blue? No, that was fourteen ninety two. It was just the word two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, fun fact, Catherine of Aragon's parents commissioned that. Of course they did. All the raping and pillaging. Right. Um, so in fifteen thirty two he officially severed ties with Rome and established the Church of England with the act of supremacy, and he declared himself the supreme head on earth. Not above God, but on earth of the Church of England. So now that he doesn't have to take any What about Mother Earth? Where's she? Not acknowledged yet. Okay. Um, That's a couple decades later. Got it. In, uh, after the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that he doesn't have to ask anyone's permission, he officially divorces Catherine after 24 years of marriage, which is another thing I like to point out in these stories because I feel like people are like, uh, each wife only lasted probably like a couple of years. It's like, no, no. Again, Catherine of Aragon, very, very important. Like, <laughs> and it's why Mary ends up being the queen. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, he divorces her, banishes her and her daughter, Mary. And after seven years of waiting, I want to also make that clear. I didn't realize how long they had been like basically dating without being married. Seven years. In January 1533, Anne and Henry were finally married at Whitehall Castle in London. And this was like the public wedding, I think, because there was a private wedding, too, because Anne is already pregnant. Because on that trip to France, Anne was like, okay, well, now we're public in, like, literally Europe. So you can't back out now. So she's like, I guess we can have sex. So they have sex in France. She gets pregnant. And she's pregnant by the very tail end of all this. So they're married. And just a few months later, in April, she was officially crowned the Queen of England and it was an insane, like, multi-day celebration. Um, she descends from the Tower of London, where, like, she's kind of prepared to, like, take on this role. And she descends from the Tower of London. There's barges. There's parades. There's everything. Um, and there's even a song 
penned for just this moment. And the song is called The White Falcon because it is the symbol that she chooses for herself. So if we, like we know that um, Catherine Varagon's symbol was the pomegranate. Hers mm-hmm. is the White Falcon. So, and this song, like you can actually kind of hear like people kind of recreate it. And the, the tone is very uh, clear. It is like, you're a fertile white creature who was pure before the king put his seed in you. Yeah, you're so pure, but you're going to have a son. It's all that. I, I love that. <laughs> I feel like that should be on the radio right now. <laughs> I, I'll take it. <laughs> Um, so they play this song. It's number one hit. She's going to have a bunch of boys. America's top 40. <laughs> but on September 7th, 1533, she gives birth to a daughter. Oh, damn it. People are like, God damn it. Elizabeth. Um, they name Elizabeth, which was obviously a huge disappointment. Henry was kind of upset, but he's like, no worries. We're young. We're in love. We have time. It's fine. We'll have a boy. Um, but little did he know that he totally infected her with tons of syphilis. Um, so it just was not going to be easy ever again. Uh, cause he's a tramp, but they love him. Um, can we get rid of like the syphilis? Like what? Can we please get, I mean, have we solved that yet? I feel like we have. I hope oh, we yeah, have. You can. Yes. That, that is now a fixable offense. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Offense. <laughs> it's a fixable offense. <laughs> STD. Uh, no. Yeah. I just. I feel it like fix- sucks so bad that everything that happens is always like it's always blamed on women, and then really again, syphilis. None of it's your fault. Riddled, riddled, riddled with men are just riddled with syphilis for centuries, and then typhoid, which we don't know what that yeah. is. We still talk about it. We don't know. I know. Um, so <laughs> a year later, she's pregnant again, but then the story stops there. There's no record of what exactly happened, but the facts remain that there was no child. There's no record of a miscarriage or anything like that. Um, some historians think that this might have been a phantom pregnancy. So Anne is just so desperate for a child, like a specifically male child, that she may have convinced herself that she was pregnant. Oh, my God. And I've seen that in soap operas. Yeah, and she's having all the symptoms, but it's all in her head because she is literally like, I don't know, like, I could be out just like Catherine because I was like, I've been telling him for seven years, if you just marry me, I will have a son. And now it's just not coming true. So in 1535. Should, like, wash his penis with Clorox I wipes. Know, right? <laughs> Get some Ajax on that. Um, So it's 1535 and there's still no baby. And many Catholic residents of England had still not accepted Anne as queen because many of them didn't particularly like, like being forced to give up their Catholic faith to become Protestants. People were being sentenced to death for not switching. Fair. And all the signs of Catholicism were being like basically taken out and sold to pack the royal purse. So things were just not so well with the people at this time. And all of this is wreaking havoc on the country. But even through all this turbulence, people described Henry and Anne as being extremely happy and being a very affectionate couple. I feel like we say this every time we cover one of his wives. People say that, like, he was the happiest with Anne. But he's I the feel happiest like, he's ever yeah, been. but I feel like people say that with every single one of his wives, except for Anne of Cleves. Um, so in 1536, Anne is pregnant again. And this year is starting off really right. Anne is pregnant. Catherine of Aragon dies. 
from an illness. So now there's no question of the legitimacy of Anne's reign. Her death is pronounced. Henry and Anne throw a party. They attend the party dressed completely in yellow, which is like a jubilant color. And they openly celebrate the death of a truly great woman. But That's they, really fucked it's up. It's really fucked up. And you can't say that it isn't. It just, it is. That's a terrible thing. He was married to her for almost 30 years and yeah. knew her from the time he was a little, little boy. Yeah. Because that's another thing. Like she was married to his older brother. Yeah. And she is this person who like he thought of as like this amazing human. And then all of a sudden, all these years later, he's like, fuck you. I'm so happy you're dead. Like, what the hell? That's disgusting. I don't it's, like that one bit. No, it's horrible. But what they didn't realize at this party <laughs> was that Catherine's death was only the beginning of the end for them. Just 17 days after Catherine's death, Henry fell from his horse while jousting, which we have talked about before. <laughs> so and many times. He suffered a horrific head and leg in, in injury. This is what turns him into a psychopath of a person. Yeah, it absolutely does. And uh, this, because it's, there's a very distinct, like you can't not see it. There's a really specific change in his temperament. And most historians believe that when he fell, he damaged his frontal lobe of the brain, which is partly responsible for our personality. And for Henry, it meant the true end of the fun, loving, charismatic athlete and the beginning of the fat, grumpy tyrant. And to add to this, he also had this horrible open wound on his leg that we've talked about that would just never heal. And I like, I can't imagine how terrible I would be. If I don't I had even an open understand wound. what it means. I, I don't know, to be honest with you. It like, cause I know like my, my, my uncle had kind of an open wound and had to heal correctly because if it heals wrong, it has to basically heal from the inside out. And if it gets a scab and you get new skin, then it's just thin skin. It's just going to keep breaking open. So basically it just kind of stays open because it's not healing properly because it also is probably just getting infected over and over and over again. I wonder too, if it was like MRSA or like a staph infection, you know what I mean? That does stay open. Mm -hmm. Like an open wound on your body. I bet. So, this happens and Anne is so distraught because he's, I mean, he's out cold for two hours. People are like, he's fucking dead. Cause I think also like the horse like fell on top of him. Um, and she doesn't have a son. She doesn't have a son yet. And she's like, Oh my fucking God. And then a less than a week after that, Anne has a miscarriage and it just so happens to be on the very day that Catherine is buried and to worsen the blow. It was developed enough for them to tell that it was going to be a boy. Oh, my God. And Henry is just absolutely distressed. And then he starts to think, well, shit, I guess God doesn't like Anne either. And this is why this is happening to me, because he is very devout, even though he like totally destroyed like religion <laughs> in Europe at the time. Catholic religion. Catholic religion. Um, He was a very, very devout like person. So he was like, I just... I feel like God is punishing me and I need to figure out why. Um, and so he kind of starts to lose interest in Anne and people start to notice another woman who he starts to favor, a lady in waiting named Jane Seymour. The Spanish ambassador who was very Catholic and not a big fan of Anne Boleyn. Um, he actually always referred to her as the concubine queen. <laughs> um, he describes 
like Henry looking at her and sending her notes. And he's like, he even sent her a note, just like inviting him to inviting her to his bed chambers, um, which he sent apparently with a purse full of money. And Jane sent it all back saying she was from an honorable family. And if she were to receive such a gift from a man, it should be accompanied by an advantageous marriage. She's playing the Anne Boleyn playbook. It's the deck of cards. She knows what she's doing now. Yeah. And like with Anne, this is exactly what Henry wants to hear because he loves something that he can't fucking have. So the flirting gets more intense. And apparently he also gave her a locket with a miniature portrait of him inside of it. And she would open and close it while she was around Anne to taunt her. And according to one source, Anne just one day like ripped it from her neck with such force that like Anne's fingers started bleeding. Like it was really bad because I can't even imagine being like, I'm the love of his life. I'm trying to like bear him a son and I can't fucking do it. And now he's sleeping with you and he's not sleeping with me as much. And so like our chances are becoming slimmer and slimmer by the day. And the whole thing is she'd, like what had happened was that she had melded the Madonna and the whore. Like we've talked about that complex of like Henry wants Anne and they have this super spicy, awesome relationship because she is not his wife. And as soon as she became his wife, like there was a honeymoon period, but then he's like, yeah, but there's marriage and then there's mistress. You were mistress. Now, now you're marriage. You're yeah. So it's like, she didn't realize that that was going to happen. And she gets openly upset that he has mistresses. And he's like, this is a part of rural life. You fucking know this. You were one. Your sister was one. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't think you were going to do this with me. I thought I was better than this. Yeah. I thought I was different, which. Woo. That's a big, deep hole to get into. Huge hole. (laughs) Maybe like have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a really bad time and while he is pursuing other women and while Anne is distressed over the the status of their relationship rumors start to circulate around the castle that Anne had been having sexual relations with other men not true it's not true and it is highly contested who started the rumors but most people agree that they weren't true um and again was very careful and calculated her whole life and she really did love henry so why would she throw that all away on a cheap affair but the thing is when henry started to hear these rumors and believe them no one wants to tell the king that he's wrong no one will be like girlfriend you are really looking way too much into it there's no way that Anne would cheat on you because literally one of the documentaries I watched, like one of the women actually interviewed someone who worked in the um, royal courts when Princess Diana was there. And he was like, yeah, one of the main reasons that spiraled so out of control was because no one wanted to tell anyone in the royal family that they were wrong. And it's a real problem. It's a problem. And most people, I think, know that Anne Boleyn, or at least I know. I don't know if most people know, but I think most people believe that Anne Boleyn did not cheat on him. Yeah. That it was another cheap excuse, another yep. cheap rumor to get rid of a woman who wasn't having a son because your dick is infected. Yeah. No, exactly. But the rumors spiral out of control. So he orders an investigation of the rumors. Um, and one of the men accused of infidelity really hits home with him um, because it's this guy named Henry Norris, who was a longtime friend and associate of the king and so there were a couple of men who were gentlemen of the privy chamber so apparently 
one source said that his job was like literally to wipe the king's butt. Um, so I think that basically like these men were like hanging out in the bathroom with him and like talking with him because boys take longer to go to the bathroom for some reason. I don't yeah, know. They really do. Um, so basically he becomes really intimate with these group of guys and then he finds out like in his, and then he's like basically all of them are sleeping with Anne Boleyn and he's like, what the fuck? You know? Um, so he's like really distressed by this. The rumors are going. He's like, okay, well, you know what? I, um, I'm going to order an investigation. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. Also, his, his like self-confidence was probably not super good right now because he's probably gaining weight because he can't do athletics anymore and he's got this open wound. Yeah. Things are like not good. Um, so it just, it just sucks. And because I think that's a really important point to take is that he's also suffering from a recent head injury and he's not in his right mind. So like he cannot listen to reason reason because one of the other things that people are saying is they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, like Anne and her brother George are also having sex. And he's like, what? Like the whole thing. So they people love accusing royals of incest they, yeah. when they're like in trouble. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's like calm down for a second because the same thing happened to Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. She was accused of having sex with her son and she's like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, it's so weird. No, not at yeah. all. So then on May 1st, 1536, while Henry and Anne are attending a jousting tournament, news reaches Henry that a musician had confessed to having sex with Anne on three specific occasions. Now, let's be clear. This musician was interrogated with torture, so we're not sure how reliable this is. So Um, he just said whatever the fuck to make him stop. Yeah, and but to Henry, it didn't matter. This meant she was unmistakably guilty. (sighs) And if she was guilty of this, then there's no way in hell that she is innocent of all those other things. Um, And for Henry now, he's like, like, God, what does this mean for my masculinity, for my wife to have to seek sexual pleasure elsewhere? So, oh, OK. And like, so that's a huge double standard. This is the huge. This is the biggest double standard is that the main thing that he is actually upset about now is that people think that he's not man enough to satisfy or control his wife. Mm-hmm. So he's sitting there. Let's ask him this, about a clitoris yeah. for mm-hmm. a second. So he's sitting there at this tournament and he's like thinking about it and he's like, well, I don't need any more proof for the rest of this because if that's true, then it's all true. And Anne didn't know it at the time, but that moment when she's sitting next to him at the tournament is the last time she will ever see Henry. <gasps> wow. I know. The next day, she would be taken from the castle to the Tower of London, and apparently she just didn't know why. Because, yes, yeah, she had been accused of all these things. She heard the rumors, but they couldn't kill her. She was the queen of England. She's untouchable. And they took her to the same room in the Tower of London that she stayed in the night before her coronation. So that couldn't be what's going on. But on May 15th, 1536, the trial of Anne Boleyn began in front of 2,000 people. That's a lot of people to hear about you having sex with your brother, supposedly. The court makes serious allegations of her, quote unquote, like, carnal sexual appetite and accuses her of diabolically seducing the men she slept with it also charged her with laughing at the king's manner of dress and his poetry and laughing at his inability to satisfy women and 
at one point she does kind of go up and she's like, you know what? Like some of these conversations, like I, I did have like, she's like, like with the main like privy guy, she's like, we were joking one time about like, you know, cause I was teasing him about like, you know, Oh, if like the King's shoes were left by the fire, like if he died, then like you would probably want to marry me. Wouldn't you? Because Anne is a very flirtatious person, but the fact of the matter is I think she's being extra flirtatious in these last couple months because the king wasn't giving her any attention. Right. He was with Jane Seymour. He was with Jane Seymour. So what is she going to do? Yeah. So I think that and then so she's kind of also implicating herself because she's like trying to like tell the truth and be like, these are the conversations that I had, but I never like actually did anything. Like I was just talking to these guys because they're my friends. And the court doesn't want to hear that. Um, Gross. And the and even just like the language they use, like because we have the manuscripts from these trials and it's like with her brother, George, they're like, well, George put his tongue in her mouth and she put her tongue in his mouth, um, you know, and then eventually they had sex. And the thing is, like, it sounds like a lot like and of course, like the end had sex was like more specifically said, but they had to be really specific because they had to paint Anne as a sexual deviant. And I think that's why the whole thing of incest came up in like, because I don't think there was no proof of that. Like, like they were good friends, but it's because they were siblings and they just liked each other. Um, but they had to paint Anne as this woman who was like so far off the deep end that it wasn't King Henry's fault that she had done all this. No man can tame such a wild feral beast. But the whole thing just like didn't really work for either of them. It's it was, insane what people will do to defend a man. Yeah. No, it is. It absolutely is. And the thing is, like, it doesn't really work out for either of them because the news of his lack of manhood did indeed spread over England. And this is why his manhood is always prominently displayed in all of his portraits from then on, which I didn't even notice. But if you look in his portraits, his cod pieces, like, after the wazoo, it's oh, insane. Yeah. It's massive. And his calves. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he is now being known throughout all of England as like not being able to control his wife. And Anne is convicted on all accounts. Oh, my God. Treason for, you know, quote unquote, planning Henry's death with Henry Norris because she's like, yeah, if if he died, we could be married. Of course. Of course I did that. So treason for that adultery with five different men Mm. and, of course, incest. And her execution date was set for just three days later. Jesus. And meanwhile, like. I don't want to get into the trial too much because it's like really a lot. Um, and there's also like a couple other players. Like there's um, there's like one guy in the church who's like being really crazy and like he has it out for Anne. I can't remember his name, but some sources just didn't even talk about him. So I was like, I don't really feel like I need to include him. Sometimes you like, can't list all the people. No, you it's can't. too much. And there's like Cardinal Wolsey who's doing all sorts of crazy shit. Um, but the main point is like also on trial with Anne are these five other men who are innocent. And it's really unfortunate. Like, so I want to also keep that in mind. It is not just Anne on trial. And Henry is not here. He's off with Jane Seymour having a good time because he's like, I don't even want to be a part of that. I don't want to. I don't want anything to do with it. So it's like the all of these six people are going to yeah, go to jail and going or to be die. murdered. Yeah. And just kept claiming her innocence. And at one point she said, I wish I could ask God pardon from my sins to cleanse myself. But I can't because she's like, I haven't actually done anything. 
She's like, I trust me, I want to repent, but I can't because I don't have anything to repent for. And she said, maybe I'm guilty of not giving him the reverence or humility that he deserved, but I was always a loyal and faithful wife. And this is her kind of admitting like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I spoke back to him and I didn't always fall in line exactly how he wanted me to. And like sometimes, yeah, like I joked with some of the privy guys about like whatever and I flirted with them, but I didn't cheat on him. The days before her execution were spent praying and then listening to the sounds of those five men, which did include her brother, get beheaded. So like and, and executed like some were, I think, um, like burned at the stake. Ugh. Some were drawn and quartered like it's really brutal because the and she's just listening to it the whole time. She's awaiting her own execution. And. She's also hearing the people of England cheer during the process. Mm -hmm. They wanted the concubine off the throne, Princess Elizabeth gone, and Princess Mary, Catherine's daughter, back in the castle. I just can't imagine how she felt in that tower, knowing that her daughter's future was at stake, innocent men were being killed, and the country that had basically just been torn apart just for her, like just to be beheaded in the end. She's like, then what was it all for? Right. Like literally their courtship was about seven years. Like why we've been together and, for so long. And they've been married for three. It just, it sucks. Um, but we do know that she had a little prayer book with her that we actually still have today. And before her execution, she wrote in the margins, remember me when you do pray that hope, does lead from day to day. Then on May 19th, 1536, Anne left her chambers in the Tower of London, the same one she had stayed in the night before her coronation. She left a little before 8 a.m. And it wasn't a long walk to the execution site, but when she got there, she was met by an expert French swordsman. In an act of mercy from Henry, he didn't want her to suffer. He also didn't want it to be public as the other ones were. So he had the scaffold erected inside the building away from the crowds. And to the few people who were there, she said, good Christian people, I am come hither to die for according to the law and by the law, I am judged to die. Therefore I shall speak nothing against it. I am come hither to accuse no man, nor to speak anything of that. Wherefore I am accused of, and condemned to die. But I pray God save the king and send him long to reign over you. For a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never. And to me, he was ever a good, a gentle and sovereign Lord. And if any person will meddle of my cause, I require them to judge the best. And thus I take my leave of this world and of you all. And I heartily desire you all to pray for me. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. To God, I commend my soul. And then after being blindfolded and kneeling at the block, she repeated several times to Jesus Christ, I commend my soul. Lord Jesus, receive my soul. She knelt upright in the French style of execution, and she was beheaded with a single swift strike. Ugh. She was then buried in an unmarked grave, in the chapel of St. Peter at Vinicula. Her skeleton was identified uh, later around 1876 um, while Queen Victoria was reigning. 
Um, and her grave is now identified on the marble floor. Um, Henry married Jane Seymour 11 days later. Oh, disgusting. I can't. Jane would give birth to a son, but since he died only five years into his reign, Anne's daughter Elizabeth would eventually take the throne and rule over England for 45 years, making her one of the longest reigning monarchs of English history. Her portraits and belongings would be evicted from Hampton Court, but Anne's memory would continue to make a mark on the history of the royal family, religion, and England. And that is the story of Anne Boleyn. Anne. It's the cr- I mean, I think the worst the worst thing about it is you can see the trend that it's like the awful things that men do isn't real. So if we execute the woman that we're blaming for it, we can prove that women are dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why? Why are we killing her? We she did nothing literally nothing wrong and I think that's the big argument like that people have about the earlier episode we did on Catherine Howard is that she probably did cheat you know she was like young she was like 17 she like but like Anne Boleyn like I really don't think did ever and she was just beheaded because of the I mean he wanted to be with Jane Seymour like it just totally sucks yeah It really does. And I think there are just so many things to that story. And there's a lot of things that I didn't get to. And like the (laughs) but honestly, the politics of, you know, 1500s Europe is too complicated. (laughs) It's too much. It is too much. And like there are some things where like the person would literally be talking. Oh, because I didn't mention my sources, but I got most of this from um, there was history chicks there. Oh, I see. I deleted them. (laughs) <laughs> you looked at a lot I of places accidentally <laughs> um erase them yeah but it was like history chicks and then the queen of england's podcast and then a documentary called henry and Anne, the lovers who changed the world because they did if it wasn't for anne boleyn i mean the catholic the, church the, and the, divorce it would things be so different. so different like you can't deny that anne boleyn changed the world forever so so, yeah. So um, those are my sources. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Um, I'm let's sorry. Let's get some more drinks. <laughs> yeah, let's get some more drinks. That was long and my throat's dry. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Three men from history off the top of your head. Uh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Okay, now name three women. Uh, um, Tubman, Anthony, um, uh, Roosevelt. Eleanor. Okay, it took you longer to name the women. Okay, (laughs) harsh, but yes. (laughs) One of the biggest reasons that this happens is that there's consistency in the K-12 curriculum on which men need to be taught, and there is no consistency on women. Okay, I don't feel so bad. I'm Kelsey Eckert. I'm a high school history teacher. And I'm Brooke Sullivan, a girl who missed out on a lot of important ladies in school. And together we're creating tools to get women's history in the K-12 classroom. Our podcast, Remedial History, comes out every Monday. Kelsey teaches me a lesson that should be a staple in every curriculum. 
curriculum. We're talking themes and important women, and Kelsey tells me the main reasons why these women are skipped over in school. Each week on our website, www.remedialhistory.com, I post an inquiry-based lesson plan for teachers based on our episode, and we found every other lesson plan of worth that's out there and linked them for you. Check it out. You can find Remedial Herstory anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, okay, so we are back for part two. The finale. <laughs> this is, okay, so the odd seasons, as you know, are the ones I hate because I have to work hard at the end and at the beginning of the next one. But it's okay oh, no. <laughs> because I'm going to put it together. I'm going to like rein it in. I did want to mention because I didn't say it in the last couple of episodes that uh, the episode we did with Carol King, we did find a dear friend of ours who does listen who does live in Idaho yes oh my gosh I thought about this Tess I just mailed you your gift today so you should be getting it in December I hope you're really really excited she gave us a list of 10 things we didn't know about Idaho and then also this awesome story about Carol King so Guys, um, this is what happens when you message us that something <laughs> is true that we didn't know. We learned about nat- the, all the national parks uh, that I are mean, in Idaho. Let me just read some of these things about <laughs> Idaho because I literally <laughs> didn't know anything. I was laughing oh out my gosh. loud. She's like, she here's said things- 10 things. She said, here's 10 things about Idaho that aren't potatoes. Okay. <laughs> Idaho has the longest free-flowing river of any U.S. state. Very exciting. <laughs> Two, 63% of Ohio is public land. That's a huge percentage. <laughs> Number three, the deepest river gorge in North America is in Ohio. It's called Hell's Canyon. Um, and Tess rafted there for Halloween. That's really fucking cool. Also, Hell's Canyon is a dope name. Um, the Great Seal of Ohio. I, I, I feel like I keep calling it Ohio. I mean Idaho. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't even notice. That's uh, how bad I am. But their Great Seal is the only Great Seal in all 50 states to be designed by a woman. Very exciting. Um, it has more river miles than any other state. 3,100 to be exact. The world's first ski chairlift was in Sun Valley, Idaho. <laughs> this, um, this. Idaho produces the second most hops beh- behind Washington and my front yard. I do have hops in my front yard. You do, but beer. Um, I mean, beer. Yeah, beer hops. Beer is Idaho. The top half of Idaho is in Pacific time and the bottom half is in mountain time. I'm so sorry. That sounds very confusing. Um, <laughs> and the, the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness is in the largest wilderness area in the contiguous U.S. with 2.3 million acres. I blown away. I, I'm blown away. Tess, I didn't know that Idaho was so cool. I've now we know. We're very um, sorry that we insulted so Carol sorry. King's home state. <laughs> <laughs> and Carol King, be better in Idaho. You're doing a lot for the Rockies, but not a lot for your neighbors. Yeah, come on. Um, share your driveway, you ass. <laughs> and we're not. We're going to keep that story private. Secret, just between secret. us and Tess. They um, are so fun. <laughs> Uh, are you ready for your drink? I'm so ready. It looks delightful, a little bit like mine. Uh-huh. So I feel like we planned this very well. We did, but we didn't. So <laughs> I usually, um, okay. So a couple weeks ago I did the first female president of the Philippines. So all my first female president ideas were gone. So <laughs> I based this cocktail off of the famous cocktail, the El Presidente, Ooh. but I totally changed a lot of the ingredients. Okay, perfect. So I did an ounce and a half of white rum, which is traditional for an El Presidente, but then you have um, orange 
curacao, which instead I used triple sec. And then I added sweet vermouth instead of dry vermouth. Okay. And then instead of grenadine, I put in cherry liqueur. I love it. Along with an orange peel, but then also orange juice. Ooh. So I like took the um, recipe for an El Presidente and zhuzhed it up a bit. I love it. And it is called. That's what Claire does. She, she does. zhuzhes it up and then murders you. She does. And this Cheers. cocktail is called My Turn. My Turn. Mm. Oh. It's so good. Do you love it? I love it. Also, two for two for cocktails tonight. I feel like both of them were like citrusy, but in different ways. And like, very just like, uh, it's the type of drink that you would relax and smoke a cigar with. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels good and regal. This cocktail is fantastic. Thank I you. love it. So congratulations. Um, it's very good. <laughs> Great. I was changing ingredients at the last moment. I was horrified. Okay. What do you know about Claire Underwood? Have you finished the entire series? No. Okay. Um, I'm about to give you a brief synopsis tonight. <laughs> I, I stopped after I think like season like two or three because um, okay. it got very soap opera-y. I think it was the season when um, it was like that other like Republican guy who was like, I love the troops. And like Frank Underwood was like, I'm going to kill you. Um, it was like that. And the family that was taken hostage like that. I was like, this is so much. Um, but what I do know is from the first couple seasons, Claire is very driven. Um, I always, I, okay. One of the things that I love, and I'm sure you'll point this out is that the thing that is like taken away when Claire becomes the first lady is like her ability to run. And I fucking love, love that because it's this thing of like she's like this is what I do and I feel like you as a runner it's like this is what I do I run and then to like not be able to run without a team of people around you is like very frustrating so like I always like that she did that because I feel like in shows a lot they're like yeah this woman is perfect but like she just is and this show was like no she works really hard to like look like that and be active and like it's something she has to do like I don't know I just I like that they acknowledged the uh, the thing that she does to get away from everything and like, you know, whatever. So uh, I know that she's a runner. I know that she becomes vice president. I guess she becomes president at some point. Um, <laughs> and I know that she is ruthless. Um, so that's what I know. <laughs> she is very ruthless. And this was recommended by our very, very good podcast friends, Rachel and Leah from Yay. Hashtag History. And this is our season finale episode, which we were just recently on their season finale yes, we episode were. talking so about Tanya Harding. It is fitting. It is fitting. So it works out perfect. So House of Cards was a Netflix drama, but it was a, originally an adapt an adapted version of a BBC series. Really? By the same name, House of Cards, which was an adaption of a novel <laughs> by the same name. Well, I guess it makes sense because they actually have like houses over there, right? Yeah. Okay. But it, so the novel came out in 1989 and mm. it was by Michael Dobbs. But Claire, unlike the protagonist wife in the British show and in the book actually has storylines, oh. which is not something that happened in those other shows. Okay. So, and the book. So the first season aired February 1st, 2013, and it became, and we can all remember this, the first critically acclaimed web-based 
series. Oh, yeah. This was like the breaking off point for like Orange is the New Black. And like we're only going to release our show on a streaming service. And if you don't buy that streaming service, you can't have it. And everyone was talking about it. And you could binge the whole season in one night. Yeah. And I remember like specifically like then it became a thing of like the Emmys were happening. And people were like, I mean, (laughs) this show is really fucking good. And people were like, no, but it shouldn't be nominated. It's not on a network. And they're like, we, but we made a show. It's a like, show. It's a That's show. What it it's is. a show. Um, yeah, I remember that being very, like, contentious. And it has changed the way TV works. Yeah, it totally Entirely. did. Entirely. I, I think people forget that. It's like, it was the first one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really the paved one. the way. It did. And she um, got to be a part of it, Claire Underwood. Mm, I love it. Uh, as horrible as she is yeah. as a human. <laughs> So I also want to point out it is an alternate universe. This is not real politics. A lot of people say it's probably the worst example of American politics that ever existed. <laughs> because like, if you think about the crown, you know, it's like based on real people and they're filling in the gaps right. um, with like conjecture of what's happening in public. But this isn't even based on real people. So they can be as fucking crazy as they want. And mm-hmm. you're right. It became soap opera. Yeah. And when you listen to my bullet points, it's going to be like, <laughs> wow. It's going to be like, have a threesome with. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, like sands through the hourglass. Are these the politicians <laughs> these are of, the our days of our lives? <laughs> <laughs> these are the DCers of our lives. Uh, it's crazy. But also, as we said in the physical for everybody who doesn't know, I know the overhead shots are from dc but the marble steps and the statues and the rooms they're in and the streets they walk down are in baltimore city because they don't only film the wire here you bitch <laughs> just so they you know. also film veep here yeah which i love it's well, like it's because we have the the old city charm of dc with like the marble steps and the very classic yeah. statues but it's not so busy and crowded with fucking politicians all the real life politicians right. and if like you really need to you can like pop down it's two minutes away yeah but. it doesn't i mean as long as you can get through 495 which yeah. covid has made much better <laughs> yes so the show's star is a horribly corrupt politician named Francis Underwood, and his leading lady is an also horribly corrupt wife named Claire Underwood. She is absolutely an anti-hero and just incredible to watch. Yes, yeah, she is. She is just riveting. Early on, she was described as Frank Underwood's conniving wife. The New York Times said she's a woman who will stop at nothing to conquer everything. Claire is so dedicated to the couple's schemes that it becomes clear very early on that she will execute them even if Frank wavers. And her assertion of power is much like lady macbeth which is funny because people compare hillary clinton to lady macbeth but robin wright continues to say i did not base my character on hillary clinton it was just airing at the same time that she was running against donald trump well and also it's like (laughs) what do you want me to do not like robin wright's fault that there's literally like one example of (laughs) a woman who is the nominee like for president for an actual like a dominating party right like Like, here we go here we go there's one and she's blonde so it must be me like what and my husband's also having sex with other girls so (laughs) we're the clintons and men (laughs) true they i mean they both are very open yeah so 
Claire Hale was born in 1956 in an elite family in Highland Park, Dallas County, Texas. Mm. Her parents came from generations of ranchers and were therefore very wealthy. Claire attended a prestigious school called Phillips Academy and was very close with her father to the point where it actually strained her relationship with her mother. Her Hmm. mother's name was Elizabeth and constantly there's like flashbacks in the show of her mom being like smile more, frown less, like be more girly, like do your girl thing. And in fact, it ended up making their relationship grow into an estrangement. So her estrangement with her mother becomes like an important part of the show. Yeah. Claire went to college at Radcliffe where she earned her bachelor's in environmental health and chemistry. And this is actually where she met her wonderful husband, Frank, who's an awful person. (laughs) And I do want to be clear. It's very fun that in the show, they show constantly. She is the only one who calls him Francis. Everyone calls him Frank except for her. And even when she flips her phone open, it says Francis. That's so true. I never thought about that. And they're really trying to like put that through. And we'll get to Zoe Barnes. But like later, Frank is cheating with Zoe Barnes. And she one time calls him Francis. And you can see like Kevin Spacey do a double take. Like that fucking name is not for you, bitch. Yeah. And also Kevin Spacey, terrible person. Oh, we're going to get to him being a terrible (laughs) person. That's part of the docket. Because we can't do this show without you doing can't. Kevin Spacey got can't. fired for all the sex things he did yeah. to people who did not deserve it and did not want it which yeah. is not fair yeah but we're talking about Frank Underwood and we'll separate him from Kevin Spacey until later okay perfect so um she meets him at Radcliffe in college then Claire goes on to get her master's degree in public this is all off screen by the way to get her master's degree in public health from Harvard University. She speaks fluent French, which I'm sure she <laughs> learned in public school, right? Not in public school, in her pre- <laughs> prestigious like, I didn't prestigious learn. school. I was about to say, I didn't learn that in public school. And I'm yeah, like, hey, no, I literally, literally went the to cold school. open is about me not going to public school. It's about Bible. With me? Bible. Um, um, but she speaks the French. Bible's not in French. And we know that French is important. <laughs> For talking to anyone if you're going to be in the U.N. It is the language of international diplomacy. It's very important. So Claire is strong. As as far as her personality traits, this is how they wrote her. She's strong and determined and an individual. And she doesn't like to be coddled or held on a pedestal. And Frank is supposed to be the only man she ever dated who understood that and treated her as such. So, again, this is all off screen, but Frank and Claire get married when Claire is 22 years old, so probably during her graduate degree at Harvard, and the couple decide to get married and have no children. Here's where we enter the show. Okay. It's 28 years after they got married. Claire is the CEO of an environmental group called the Clean Water Initiative, and Frank is the majority whip. So, these are big people. And that was another thing I didn't realize about politics is like that position is real, correct? Mm -hmm. Like there is a person like if you are the majority party and you have to make sure that the votes are in. Yeah. Like you have to literally go around to everyone and be like, you're voting this way, right? It's your job. It's your job. Mm -hmm. Like you have like 
I didn't know that that was a real thing. I just thought that everybody was individual and everybody came together in a meeting and voted. But no, there's a person who like makes sure you're doing what you're fucking supposed to. Right. And it's like they definitely make it a little more scandalous in shows like this. Yeah. But I mean, I remember so I, I watched an interview with Michelle Obama where mm-hmm. she was talking about House of Cards and Scandal, which she was like, I love to watch, but I wish it was that interesting. <laughs> she was like, my life is not as fun as they make it seem. I think you mentioned that in the episode you did on her. Oh, Michelle Obama. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, she loves House of Cards, but she says she wishes it were that interesting. <laughs> hey, listen, that was episode three. Yeah, which is go currently is not available on Apple Podcasts now. Go find um, our but- <laughs> website. Go find our website. <laughs> so the Clean Water Initiative is a charity nonprofit organization intended on bringing clean, drinkable water to developing nations and other countries. And what we find in her job is, although it's this wonderful nonprofit, she proves how ruthless and pragmatic she can be, sometimes more so, I would say most times, more so than her husband. Throughout the show, Claire serves as her husband's primary accomplice. And I say yeah. accomplice because he's a fucking villain. Yeah. The president at the time goes back on his word to make Frank secretary of state. So Frank enlists Claire to help him get revenge and propel them to political success. I forgot that that was the premise of the show. Beginning of the show. (laughs) It's crazy. So she and Frank scheme nightly in their little row home in D.C. Smoking their cigarettes out the window. single cigarette that they (laughs) share, which is something I love because like Katie said at the top, they both work out. He does a rowing machine. She's a runner. And like they work out together and they know smoking is bad. (laughs) But like they smoke together one cigarette a night that they share out a window while they scheme. It's so cute. It's so funny how like the actual political workings are so wrong, but the personal like <laughs> relationships are so fucking it's, right. It's so right. <laughs> they, they hit the nail on the head. Yes, I've did. been there, my friend. <laughs> and in the in the early seasons, Frank says this quote: "I love that woman. I love her more than sharks love blood." And it's something that does not carry through to season six. At the beginning, their love is so like we love each other. We respect each other enough that we can cheat, cheat on each other and be around each other and like still know that the end goal is good. But that doesn't carry through. Well, and here's the thing. It's like sharks love blood because they're like their genes tell them to. And I feel like Frank and Claire's genes tell them that they have to be with one another. You because should like each other. They're the only ones ruthless enough to be with one another. And yeah. I, I, mm. they, the writing on that show was very good. It's <laughs> very, very the good. first season. Like, and I think also we should point out that they had different directors for every two episodes. So it was like two, 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 really? two, two. So they wanted to keep the vibe changing. Um, That is so interesting. I just... Yeah. I've, I've never heard of a show doing that where, like, you get two. Yeah. It's like, this is your thing. Do your two, and then you're out, and it's somebody else. That's very interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. very cool. So after Frank was not made Secretary of State, she fires half of her staff at this nonprofit because she's like, wow, we don't have funds anymore, <laughs> or some shit like that to try to make everybody look bad. But her main reason for being at the nonprofit was to make her and Frank look like caring individuals, which they are not. So (laughs) 
this woman named like Jillian Cole, who had become like part of the business, is then like, I need severance health care. I'm pregnant. Like, I can't deal with this. And of course, Claire says this famous line that she delivers icy cold. I'm willing to let your child wither and die inside of you if that's what's required. Yeah, I I very much remember that scene. And it, it, it is on it, and it, it is the scene that pops to my head when I think of Claire Underwood. She's in that because white she's room. The, yes. It's very small. It's, yeah, it's a nonprofit type room. Yeah, it is, and like, and she says it, and like the girl just, she kind of realized she's like, this is the exact thing I was afraid of. But it's also why universal healthcare should be. I know. I know. <laughs> Women who are pregnant people shouldn't be able to hold healthcare hostage above over your you. head. Like what? I think, and I think that there are so many points the show is trying to make, and that is kind of one of them. Yeah, Claire and Frank are villains, but like they're villains over what we already made. I know it seems insane what's happening, but we built this system, and that actually is how it is. And this is the thing. And I think that's what the show is trying to say is like people like Frank and Claire can use the system to their advantage. And this is why it's fucked up. Yeah. And it's a great it's a great way to show it. It is a great way to show it. Okay. Why so, not? Wow. Okay. I, I remember. Oh my gosh. That poor girl. I remember so vividly that scene. It's it's a very trying thing to watch. Yeah. Um. So the entire six seasons, as we said earlier, uh, they both are very aware of each other's extramarital affairs. They don't yeah. really try to hide them. Mm-mm. In season one, Frank is having an affair with Zoe Barnes, who's a reporter, and Claire is totally fine with it as long as it gets them to their goal. Like, as long as the press is good for them. She is subsequently having an affair with a longtime lover, Adam Galloway. Adam Galloway is a photographer in New York, and they had had a brief fling in the summer of 1978, but reconnect in seasons one and two of this show. She um, did get mad at Frank at one point in season one and goes to stay with him in New York, which implies that that's something that's happened a lot in their marriage. Yeah. Where like she'll get mad and then just go hang with him. By the end of season one, Frank Underwood becomes vice president. It was November 10th, 2013. And Claire assumes the role of second lady of the United States. And of course, Frank pushes uh, Zoe Barnes in front of a moving subway train. So oh, let's- most horrifying scene moment ever. of my life i just when that happened like, i put my hand over my mouth i was oh, yeah. so shocked yeah, yeah yeah i hid my eyes like when like, a, <gasps> like when a snake appears on a screen i hid my eyes um it I, yeah was unbelievable I, and i feel really bad for people who are listening to this who haven't watched the series but oh like, come on but you gotta watch it it was least, 2013 at least season one get over and it two. um but <laughs> and yeah seven and there seven. wasn't one <laughs> But yeah, but I, I, oh God, yes. Okay. Mm, it was sorry. trying. It was this trying. Is, I knew this was going to be hard for me because I keep wanting to interject. No, keep it. Keep <laughs> going. It's season finale. We can be as wild as we want. That's true. Minnie Mouse and Ruth Bader did not deserve what they got. No, that was terrible. That was so bad. But we also couldn't hold our alcohol back then. That's true. We We're should pros. redo it. We should switch stories. Oh. Allie, you have such a great idea. Okay. <laughs> Tell us on Instagram if you want us to do that. <laughs> we'll just do it anyway. <laughs> if you want us to, we'll switch around with you. Um, okay. okay. Yes. 
That was a dance. Okay. <laughs> so in season two, Claire has a very meaty storyline, which was like very unexpected because she was kind of a side character in the first one. But she is working as an advocate for this sexual assault bill. After revealing the details of her personal sexual assault accidentally on a CNN interview, Claire began to work very closely with two other women in Congress um, on oversight of military sexual assault cases, even reaching out to former Marine, a former female Marine who was raped by the same man that raped her. So, in telling about her rape story, she says, listen, I was raped in my senior year of college as somebody who went to college with Frank and I, and he is now a high ranking military general, which mm-hmm. is like horrifying. Of course, if you work in politics to know that the man that raped you works in close conjunction with you, which I'm sure happens to women in politics a lot, AKA Dr. Ford. She also admits in this interview to having aborted a pregnancy that she claims was the result of rape. Now it came out that she had had an abortion and then she kind of tells the rape story. And it turns out that we find out as the watcher that the abortion was actually an abortion she had with a child that was Frank's mm-hmm. with his knowing consent. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's using this to kind of cover up the abortion. And I want to like do a blanket statement here that like if you're choosing to get an abortion, that's your right and go for it. And you shouldn't have to cover it up with rape. And it's sad that we live in a society where that has to happen. Right. Because like, she did get raped and she yes. did have an abortion and they are separate events and she should be allowed to talk about both separately. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that like she has to meld the two. But yeah. to not be a female villain, she has to meld the two. Yeah. Yeah. But like it, in, in your, I, I love how you put that. Like you don't have to separate them. Like or you don't have to put them together. They can be separate incidences in your life. Yeah. It's not like I have to be like, I got raped and so I had an abortion. It's I got raped and then I also had an abortion. Those are yeah. two things. No, they are two separate things. Right. And they can both impact you separately in whatever way you see fit because trauma writes differently on different people. Yeah. So. She got uh, initial support from Congress for her sexual assault bill. But then this former Marine, Megan Hennessy, has this breakdown on a televised interview because it's the same man that raped Claire. But like Megan was not quite as prepared to talk about it and just like breaks down on camera and she loses a lot of support for the bill. And then Megan attempts to take her own life. Oh my gosh. And this is the first time you actually see a dent in Claire's armor. She shows remorse. She actually bursts into tears when she sees the pain that she brought to this other sexual assault survivor, not forcing women to talk in the me too movement is very important you can have your own personal Me Too movement without making it public, and that is totally okay. Yeah. And I, I, she forced this Marine to speak on television about this thing, and Megan, even though it's a fictional character, was not ready to do so, and that's not fair. Well, I think a lot of women went through that of, like, I don't want to talk about this. I'm not ready yet, and then kind of being forced to do so. And it just... It does suck because they're like, I know that there's like, there was a thing in my life that came up recently that I'm not ready to talk about. Like, I hate, I hate, I actually physically hate talking about it. And then it came up and like, I was like, oh my God, it's been years. And like, I still, I can't 
I can't talk about this moment. It's not time. And it sucks because like you want to, like you want to be like, no, I'm the type of person that can, but then you can't. And like, it makes you feel weak, but it shouldn't like, yeah. And it just, it, it sucks because the one thing a Marine does not want to feel is yeah. weak. Yeah. So she has oh this gosh, like yes. horrible attempt at her ho- own life. And you actually see Claire like really understand, which is something you don't see of Claire Underwood very often. Yeah. So then details of her affair with Adam get kind of leaked. And he originally worked with the Underwoods to help minimize this damage. But then his jealous fiance is like, you should leak the pictures that you took of Claire because he's a photographer in the shower, which that's a total violation of privacy. And fuck you if you've ever done that to a man or a woman. Not okay. If you took those pictures in the privacy of your own relationship. mm -mm. Mm-mm. So after she publicly denies the affair, they also get him to say he fabricated the images, which absolutely ruins his reputation because he's a photographer and you can't do that. So Claire is also at this time manipulating the first lady to think that the president is cheating on her to distract the president from whatever Frank's doing on the sign. (laughs) So by the end of the season, Frank got the president to resign and he becomes the president, making Claire the first lady. End of season two. Woo. Yeah, there are. Bam, bam, bam. (laughs) Woo, this show's crazy. It is crazy. (laughs) So then Claire is in season three. And she feels like I need to do something more significant than just be the first lady. And she's like, Frank, like, nominate me for a UN post. And he's like, okay, girl. But then the Senate actually rejects her because she has this rocky hearing. But Frank gives her the job anyway. But her tenure is very brief because she ruins a treaty between the U.S. and Russia because she publicly confronts the Russian president about his anti-gay politics. So I can understand why people get this confused with real life because that's a thing. Yeah. Um, but also that didn't happen. <laughs> so it's, like, it's very weird. Like the connections. So it actually has much more to do with the Olympics than anything, <laughs> than anything else. But that is what happened. He is an anti-gay Putin is an anti-gay person. And we're all not cool with that. But they also put it on this show with a fake president. This is the first spot in their relationship though. Um, During Frank's election campaign, because he was the president, but it was after another president stepped down so he can potentially be the president two other times. So like that can have a long. I never thought about that. that You can have a really long reign if you if you go in as the vice president as the vice. Okay, so it's very important. So this is his first reelection campaign and um, he gets like almost assassinated and like tries At to get your sh- college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where producer went. Exactly. That's where that was filmed. At <laughs> college. But it starts like Claire starts to question like if she really loves him and is this something that she wants to do and their mutual respect love relationship that was a lethal enemy to anyone else starts to turn to hate and that's really like the whole thing of season three is like yeah. she's in the un and then they hate each other mm-hmm. it's a very quick very quick for claire she doesn't yeah. have a lot of parts yeah so now we're on season four she has left frank she went back to texas to her hometown she's trying to have this like semi-reunion with her mother who's dying of lymphoma and this is a soap opera i can't like uh, now that you said it because i was like 
I remember all this. I'm like, oh, here's where I, I don't <laughs> think I got through this season. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She sets her sights to be in the House of Representatives for a seat for Texas. And Frank's like, hey, girl, listen, I literally can't run for president without you because I need a first lady. So, like, if you appear with me, then I will support your House of Rep run. Uh, But then he totally screws her over by supporting the daughter of his political ally. So then she decides she's going to leak a picture of Frank's father with a Klansman. (gasps) I remember that. Yeah. So you watch more of this than you think. I did. I did watch more of this than I think. (laughs) So Frank, Frank's totally pissed. And she's pretty much like, look, if you want to be president, I have every fucking piece of dirt on you that exists. She's blackmailing her husband. Um, So make me the vice presidential candidate. And he's just like, no. And then, you know, he he's in this coma because of the assassination attempt. This is like the whole season four thing. And she has to step in to help his weak VP candidate on this crisis that's happening while he's getting like a liver transplant. And she's like, I don't need to go to the hospital. I need to help with Russia. So when he wakes up, he comes out of surgery and realizes how good of a job she did. Like we all do. We wish our husbands wake up and are like, thank you for doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. He never would have noticed that. But he woke up and was like, oh, my God. Yeah, you can absolutely be my vice president. But we're going to say that this other lady is going to be the vice president. She kind of looks like Linda Tripp, the actress. And then she's like, but behind the scenes, I'll be promoting you as the vice president. Okay, 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 okay. That's the whole deal. You know what's so funny about that assassination? Um, nothing's funny about an assassination, mm-hmm. but <laughs> Casey depends my, who it is. Uh, I don't want <laughs> to brag, but <laughs> fiance's cousin is in the Secret Service, and I had coffee with her recently um, outside, socially distanced. Just want to make that clear. Um, but <laughs> she bought a house and was very excited and did her radon test. But anyways, we're talking, and I just the literal first question, which I'm an idiot. I go, so Sarah really how hard is it to kill the president <laughs> not okay katie and she goes it's pretty hard <laughs> she was like you don't even understand the scope of like how many people we have in the crowd and in buildings and like she's like it's weird like which i probably shouldn't be publicly broadcasting this but like whatever she told hey, me hey it's hard um, it's hard she wouldn't I tell want, you if it want, wasn't public I just want knowledge people to know it's hard to assassinate the president nowadays yeah so on the show so it wouldn't happen don't even try <laughs> just stop um, trying it <laughs> Don't even try it. Even the ones we don't like. Don't kill yeah. them. Um, Just publicly shame them. But yeah, Cousin Sarah has now will now serve four different presidents. Which is really fucking cool. It is cool. And I can't wait for her to not serve this one. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, now she's going to be the vice presidential candidate. Love it. I don't know. So they also become advocates for gun control. So like good for them because they maybe don't try to assassinate the president. (laughs) This is going to end up making her the first female vice president in history, which uh, we now have, which is great. Come on. Come on, people now. Mm, 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 mm. 
I don't know what I want. To I don't do either. That, but uh, so then <laughs> there's a terrorist group. Oh no! <laughs> that takes this American family hostage, and Claire that. has to negotiate with the leader of the group to agree to let the people go. But he goes back on this deal and just tells them to kill this American family. And um, somebody also at the same time is trying to like publish all of Frank's crimes. So Claire's like, "Well, <gasps> just to distract everybody." Yeah, I forgot about that guy. <laughs> Thomas Yates will get yeah, to him. So Claire's like, hey, just to distract everybody, let's um, just release the footage of the hostages dying to create mass hysteria. And then nobody will care about what Frank did. <gasps> She's the mastermind of this oh horrendousness. God. Snap to season five. <laughs> OK, season five. We open season five. It is a and this is chilling. If you've ever seen it, it is a propaganda video of Claire creating this fear of terrorism for the nation. Um, but the fear ends up causing low voter turnout and they close some polls early because Oof. they think Frank's going to lose the election. Lawsuits ensue. This is all things that oh we now God. understand. <laughs> um, it's a mess. But after nine weeks, when no one is declared winner, Frank and the man he's running against, Governor Conway, did not reach 270 votes. So the House of Reps and the Senate have to elect an acting president. Can that actually happen? It has happened twice in U.S. history. What? I anticipated you. Allie, you know me so well. It happened, what? It happened in 1824 and 1836. Wow, what horrible years. What the hell yeah, is going on? This is on? all right before the Civil War. This Whoa. is like the, that makes sense. Zachary okay. Taylor, Tippecanoe, and Tyler too. <laughs> like that shit. I don't know. Those I'm are the coming right years. in with my big ball of yarn <laughs> or whatever he had. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, I feel like that's a Parks and Rec reference, and I like it. Um, but the Senate ends up choosing Claire to be the acting president until the votes could be processed in Ohio and Tennessee. What? So they're like, listen, she was already the vice president. Now we're trying to decide who the president is. So let's just make her the first, like this acting president for a little bit. Okay. During her short time as acting president, there's a nuclear energy truck that goes missing and they have to go into lockdown. There's a Russian soldier that takes over an American military base and the Chinese and the Russian are vying for this boat in Antarctica. So there's a lot of shit happening and she's dealing with all of it. Okay. So there is a revote election type thing where Frank acquires a recording of his opponent threatening to like abuse this pilot and they use it as blackmail against him. And of course, in true Underwood fashion, after he gives in, they release the tape anyway. <gasps> and the Underwoods win the election. Oh, Frank as president, God. Claire as vice president. Okay. Now. We haven't talked much about Thomas Yates. We brought him up about writing a second ago. But by this time in season five, Claire and Thomas Yates have fallen deeply in love. Wait, the guy who went into jail? No. Wait, what? The guy's the writer, the speech writer. writer. Okay. He was the speech writer. He's writing a book about Frank. He's like following Frank and Claire around all these things. So, Way back in the early seasons, Frank had hired him to write a book about his politics and to write his speeches and whatnot. But 
Frank had been intrigued by his flowery language and was like, oh, you know, I, I kind of know you wrote under a pen name in this earlier book. But the earlier book was about how this young boy like was giving sexual favors to men in like alleyways uh, just to survive survival sex, which right. is Thomas Yates. Like he did that, but nobody knew it was a pen name. But Frank was like, I think I can use you to inject some positivity into the the culture of my campaign. So Yates begins shadowing Frank around everywhere he goes. And they kind of have a hint at this homosexual relationship, but nothing ever goes further, which Frank and Claire absolutely have threesomes with other people. Frank has relationships with men and women. This is like a very open white house, very open oval office. (laughs) (laughs) Frank, um, and Claire end up eat- reading the first chapter of the book, which they kind of read on the show. And it's like beautiful. It's about how Frank like grew up from poverty to become president. But they hate it. The Underwoods hate it. And they like kick him out and they're like, we fucking hate you. So him and Claire over time end up developing this relationship where like Thomas Yates is like, you are too good for this man. Like you need to leave him. And they end up falling like really deeply in love with affair an affair that like Frank approves of. And they're this couple like he stays in the White House in Claire's bedroom with her like on a regular basis. And Frank is like right across the hall sleeping in his president bed. So, so weird. It is weird. Things get really complicated because Claire tells Tom, ends up telling him that Frank murdered Zoe Barnes and Peter Russo because Claire was actually in love with him. She's like telling him the truth. Like my husband murdered these people and she immediately regrets, regrets it. And is like, now I'm implicated too. This is horrible. Um, so she goes, I can't see you anymore ever so he's like cool you don't love me anymore I know you love me you're a cold hard bitch you're pretending you don't love me but you do so guess what I'm gonna go out and I'm going to publish this book about all y'all's crimes because you're being assholes so she's like okay you don't have to do that so she invites him over she goes to have dinner with him and just slips a little something something in his drink a little bit of poison and um then goes to have sex with him and he dies while they're having sex Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again. A on screen. Soap a soap opera. opera. This is on screen. Thomas Yates dies inside of Claire Underwood. <laughs> like, I cannot be more gruesome oh about God. this. Yes. Yeah, I definitely didn't get this far. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Another person that was very close to Frank that ends up being important is Doug Stamper, <laughs> which I didn't mention. So he is Frank's longtime wingman and political servant slave, yeah. pretty much. He does anything Frank says. I mean, he, like, kills Mrs. Maisel. He's killing people. So upsetting. It's, it's a horrible thing. So Frank ends up being accused of all the crimes that he's done because he did all these crimes, and they convince Doug to take the fall for Zoe's death which oh is my God. so messed up so Frank because of all this mess has to resign as president making Claire the first female president of the United States and the ad- idea was you pardon me and then we run together next time and we get our second term but this is coming towards the end of season five and Claire Underwood decides to not pardon her husband and she deadpans the camera and breaks the fourth wall for the first time like Frank had been doing the whole time looks dead to the camera and says 
my turn. <gasps> and oh then it just God. cut to black. <laughs> Which was the perfect setup for firing Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. It does. So as we know at this point, Kevin Spacey was fired from the show for his sexual misconduct. Robin says that she was always supposed to be the president from season one yeah. and they just continued without him. She said if Hillary had been elected, then Claire would have been elected. But because she wasn't, we made it a more roundabout shady way. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because they felt like there was no reason to make a woman president for real if it couldn't happen. Yeah. Before Kevin Spacey's departure from this season, all of season six would have been about a really messy divorce between the two. But Frank and Claire were attempting to destroy each other, had to be written out of the script, and Frank had to be gone. Okay. So season six begins four months after the last. Claire is the president. Frank has died off screen of an apparent heart attack, but Claire suspects murder, of course. She continually tries to disassociate herself with him, even returning to her maiden name, Hale, and calls him publicly her, quote, biggest regret. She quickly oversaw the killing of Ahmed al-Ahmadi and had a troop surge in Syria. She definitely makes some political enemies and an ex-disgruntled soldier attempts to take her life and then take his own. Because Frank is dead, Doug recants his confession. Like, why is he going to take the fall for a man who's dead? And Clara makes a shaky alliance with him, although she knows he knows too much. And she later pardons him, but their relationship is always suspicious. She's also really suspicious of the vice president, who is having secret meetings behind her back. So she fires her entire cabinet, which is very topical oh my god and starts to leak personal information about each of her political opponents that damages them publicly this season is like claire versus everyone in politics she has other opponents killed she has other opponents in uh arrested for treason she is just racking up the body count to all of this robin wright says we were literally trying to outdo the crazy that was happening in real life. Like yeah. there is nothing we could do. She eventually has a meeting with Doug who was hired to assassinate her by some political enemies. And they have a heated exchange where he admits that he was the one that killed Frank and that he didn't have a heart attack. And um, it was because Frank was going to kill her anyway. So, he attacks her with a letter opener, which superficially wounds her hands and her throat, but he could not bring himself to kill her because he wants to, quote, protect the Underwood legacy. Because I think he really was in love with Frank Underwood. Oh, yeah, for sure. He loved him. So Claire takes the letter opener and stabs him literally in the back, in the Oval Office, and says, there, no more pain. <sighs> Cut to show over. Wow. That's the end of the show? <laughs> That's the end of the whole show? She kills him in the Oval Office as president, and there's nobody else that knows how bad her and Frank were. <laughs> but yeah, but there's a little dead man in the... Oh, I guess she has the defensive wounds, though, to... Yeah. Wow. Okay. So... 
the show obviously tackles some very interesting female issues like healthcare affairs, abortion, sexual assault, but also the electability of women. Over and over, Robin Wright said her character was not Hillary Clinton, but there's some similar ideas. They yeah. call her cold. They say ordinary women just don't understand a rich girl like you with all this political success. Not only did the show get critically acclaimed, but Robin Wright won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. And she's the first actress to win a Golden Globe from a web-based television show. Following season four, Robin Wright said that she felt Claire Underwood was an equal of Frank Underwood and demanded equal pay for her performance. And Netflix said, sure. The Wall Street Journal described Claire as a short-haired blonde who managed to be masculine and demasculating at the same time. Mm. Wright's performance is described as nuanced and compelling. She had chilly poise. She was coolly regal. And she softens at some points, but is mostly terrifying. Mm. In 2013, Netflix, like we said, earned its first primetime Emmy. She was nominated as lead actress in a drama series. And she also won the Golden Globe. And she won the Critics' Choice Award. And she won the SAG Award. Robin was a director for two episodes in the sixth season as well, saying that this is also a male-dominated craft. And I took a leadership role. A lot of pieces they say this needs to be directed by a female because it's a female story, but that's <laughs> not always how it has to be. So she says she's so grateful at, in her 50s to be able to play strong woman and about Robin's recent role as the aunt to Wonder Woman. Robin says that she bets Claire Underwood could take that Amazon warrior in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> And that is the story oh, of Claire Underwood. That's so great. I, <laughs> it's one of those things I'm like, I want to finish the series, but I also don't like it. But I love, but that's the thing. I was always invested in her. She's the best character. She's the best character. Easily. Everybody knows that she is the Hands star of the show. Down. She was the star. And oh. once they fully invested in her, it was like, yes. Yeah. So producer and I finished it. We finished it when it first came out. Um, yeah. Just one season at a time. And I just, there's this just incredible scene where she's like in front. I remember it's like early in season six, but she's in front of like the whole military telling them to go to Syria. And somebody like calls her Mr. President, like by accident, because that's something that they've like always yeah. said. And it's like a young military guy. It was just, I just remember being like, wow, what would it be like to all of a sudden change all of our verbiage? Yeah. Oh my it's going to be very weird Ooh. when it eventually does happen. Yes. But. <laughs> Well, we need to talk about these two women in a little segment together <laughs> in a little segment we like to call just the two of us. Uh, so talk about the two most hated women in history. They're so hated, <laughs> but also so undeniably powerful. And I love that about both of them is like, it's kind of what you expect about women in powerful positions is that they will be hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's so sad, too, because it's like, yeah. I mean, Anne did nothing wrong. Claire was definitely a murderer. No, she was. But the thing was, and this is something that I heard from one of my sources, but I didn't really get into because I didn't know where to fit it in. But one of the things that Anne, that made Anne different from Catherine of Aragon was that she did want to be a partner. When her and Henry got together, she was like, okay, 
you don't even love Catherine anymore. Like you love me. So like we are partners. We are equal. We're a team. We're a team. And that was her wanting equality and kind of expecting it. She was like, no, no, no. Like this will happen. You know, like when they went to France together, she was like, yeah, I'm an equal. I am assisting him in diplomatic matters. Yeah, but both of these women got like eventually shunned by their male counterpart. No, they totally did because and this is the thing, too. It also goes to show you like Anne Boleyn wanted equality with him. And she didn't get it. She was shunned. And then you have Claire Underwood who was demanding it. She was like, no, no, no. (laughs) I am demanding equality with you. Like that was our fucking deal. And then still getting denied it from her partner, which is incredibly frustrating. (laughs) He at one point when they go to break, like break things off, he just is like, you are nothing without me. Mm. Like you like I'm the politician and you're just my wife, which is what I think King Henry VIII thought about every woman he was with. Well, and uh, and every person he was with, because he is like, I am the king. Like, that is the title. And I wrote that about both of them, too. It's like they both came from money, but not title, which is a totally different thing. It is. And they were both, both of their stories are defined. Find by the man that was in charge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also feel like they are in two systems where everybody has money. So you have to bring something else to the table because frankly, everyone in Washington has money. It's funny. Like, <laughs> I know I've worked in the system. I know that like, that is the thing. Like, There's this one beautiful moment. I think it might be season one or season two where Frank Underwood is talking to a guy and it's like, he like, you know, he's always breaking the fourth wall, but he's yeah. like, there's something about this man. I think his name's Remy. His last name is like, yeah. in this city, you either love money or power. Most of them love money, but they're stupid. You should love power. Yeah. And it's like, that's the other thing you bring to the table. It's yeah. not money. It's no, power. It's not. And like money can get you a certain amount of power, but like you have, you also have to also like discard money at some point to get more power. You have to and execute like, your it power. Is, and like, uh, and whoo, throw him a pen. Like but, we know, <laughs> like we know anything about like money we, or I power. Know. I don't know anything about this. Um, But I also, I feel like they both just kind of, they were doing what needed to be done but the difference is, is that Claire went the extra step further. And I think that's what makes them different than like, I feel like Claire is a dying star because like she murdered someone in the Oval Office. Mm. I can't imagine that that has good consequences. For oh, her. she's there's, not going to get away. With there's that. no way. There's no way. And then, but, and then you have Anne Boleyn as kind of a wilting flower. And that is someone who is guilty versus not guilty. Right. And you also have, like, so King Henry VIII, who is marrying his mistresses and killing his wives. And Frank is very different. He murdered his mistress Mm -hmm. in order to, like, be with because he respected his wife. He didn't love her. There's he did not love Claire, but he respected Claire, which yeah. is a very interesting difference. I think that King Henry VIII felt the exact opposite. He respected his wife and therefore he killed her so he could have his mistress. Which yeah. Is so weird how women are this token to be like shuffled. Yeah. Oh, whoops. In both settings. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, I just, 
They were cunning. They, mm. they were both very cunning. And I feel like both of the stories um, kind of normalized infidelity in those ways. Yeah. Of like the men in charge are like, this is a normal part of life. And you have Anne who is accused of participating in it. And she actually didn't. And then you have Claire who did participate in it. But if it's not benefiting her, then she's pissed. <laughs> I mean, I truly believe she did love Thomas Yates and then yeah, I think murdered so him because she was too vulnerable in front of him. Yeah. Like I, I can definitely, I know powerful women hate any little chink in their armor. Well, and it's because if you are a woman, you can't just do what you're supposed to and get ahead. You have to be, impeccable because was, then it's all women yeah and i was listening to an ep like uh, an interview with kevin hart actually recently and he was like as a black comedian he was like i am always afraid that someone is going to just take all this away from me he was like so i have to just be working so hard to like be the best and be better and like he was like it feels so vulnerable to be like someone's going to catch on and that it, it, like everything's going to be taken away if I, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And like, it's something that I think not a lot of people realize. It's like, cause I would be like, Kevin Hardy is going to be rich forever, but he doesn't feel that way. Yeah. I he's rem- like, I'm a black man in America. Like I am not the majority. And like, there are some people who don't think that I should exist. And like, that is a real fucking fear. It's horrifying. I remember the first time I taught a class at Towson, mm-hmm. I couldn't stand up because my legs were shaking yeah, like so bad because I was like, when are they going to catch on that? Yeah. I am just like a 30 something nobody with a doctorate, but yeah. I know nothing. When are they going to know these little 18 year olds? They're going to call me out at some point. They're going to call me out yeah. that I, they're going to call my bluff and oh my somebody's going to figure it out. I'm sure other female professors have felt that. Yeah, because it's like academia is not like a very female led like career. And it's like because of those horrible fears, like I have stepped away Yeah, because it's scary. So I can't imagine like these two women like putting themselves out there like and for real putting Mm -hmm. herself out there. And then the story writing about Claire who's just like a horrible person, but like is really cute. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah <laughs> nice suits <laughs> i like um, your suits claire but i also think it's a difference of um i think claire was forging her way because there had never been a female president before yeah so like or she, vice president or, or vice whatever president. the fuck she was being so all she the time. had to forge her way any way she could and then you have Anne, who was like yeah there's always been female queens but, but a then, first female divorce <laughs> but getting there was a lot of first and Mm -hmm. then you have this person who she also I think she had a different idea of what it meant to be queen than what it actually did she was like yeah I'm gonna be queen and then be equal I'm gonna have all this power and then she just didn't yeah and then it was like oh no I'm not I'm not the love of his life anymore I am now his wife which is a very different position than like the un you know like it's just it's a very different thing. And I think that she didn't expect it to be different. And then it was. And I think it's actually like really horrifying to think about like, because we haven't had a female ruler, what's going to happen when we have one that does talk about their sexual assault because yeah. it's one in four women. So yeah. most likely 
one of the women in office, you know, is going to, or like what's going to happen when we do have a female leader that does talk about her abortion. What's going to happen when we do have a female leader that talks about domestic abuse, because Mm -hmm. those are all things that happen to women and we don't have women in power talking about them. So it's like, it was uncomfortable almost watching house of cards because you were like, Oh my God, she shouldn't be saying that. But then you're like, why not? Yeah. Why shouldn't be she be saying it? Because those are real things that women deal with. And yeah. she, she's portraying a real woman. Yeah. No, she act, she she definitely is. And and I think that Anne could have been a queen of the people. And I think Claire could have been a president of the people. But like they didn't want her. They just either they, of them. They don't want either of them. They don't want real women who have been through struggle and heartache and it's just, I mean, I keep thinking about Princess Diana, too. Yeah. Like, I feel like every day that interview comes up with Princess Diana where he's like, you know, do you think you'll be queen? And she's like, no. No, I don't because they don't want me to be. I will never be queen. And like, God. And like, Claire knows that people don't want her to be president. And Anne knows that people don't want her to be queen. And But they're trying anyway. But they're trying anyways. And... I don't know. And I think it's so wild that even when she's on the execution block Anne is like, God save the king. What else are you going to say? What else are you going to say? Let's toast these women. <laughs> end of season seven. All right. End of season seven on a super positive note. Woo, um, woo, woo. <laughs> Allie, at the end of this listener request season of all the people that our listeners have asked us to cover. Who would you like to toast this evening? So I, it's an interesting toast because I think Claire is a villain. She was written as a villain. She was purposely a villain. Yeah. Women are not purposely villains. So I want to toast to women who are villainized and do not deserve it. Because it's just so Anne Boleyn. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. It's crazy. I just, I think that especially women in politics, and I know it's true in the United States. I don't know everywhere else, but I assume it's true. You're considered cold. You're considered a bitch. You're considered hard. You're considered steely. And it's like you are a villain, even if you're just trying to do your job. Yeah. So I just want this to be like for all the women who are told that they're villains and that there's no foundation in that statement. Mm. So cheers. Because Claire was a villain. She's a bad person. She shouldn't have killed people. <laughs> but Anne wasn't. <laughs> but Anne did not kill people. Um, well, I... <laughs> Same toast? <laughs> no, actually, it's actually very different. Um, wow. I, I am toasting fools in love. Oh. I just... I, so I don't think that Anne or Henry wanted destruction to be their legacy i think they wanted to be together i think Anne wanted to bear him sons because she loved him so much that she wanted to give him his ultimate wish um also shouldn't be the mark of a woman no it shouldn't but the thing is love can fuck things up it can make you do things that you don't want to do like i don't think that claire underwood started her life saying I am going to kill people and murder and be the president one day (laughs) and I don't think 
well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I don't think that's any, you know, young girls like starting off point, but like, (laughs) but I think that when you love something so much, it can be destructive and And your image too. And this is the thing. Anne was in love with Henry so much that it was destructive. And I think that Claire was in love with power so much power. Power. Um, That's all that Frank says. (laughs) (laughs) That it became destructive. And I, and I just want to toast fools in love because it can turn into something beautiful or something Mm, horrendous. So cheers. Just like this podcast, it can be beautiful or horrendous. Mostly Um, horrendous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Allie, so I feel like we ended this episode on a slightly sad note of women in power. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I want to know what you're what you're imbibing. Okay. <laughs> It's really good. I think. Okay, so everybody knows the song Santa Baby sang <sighs> by Eartha Kitt. Yes. And I was listening to it in the car with my daughters this week, and they were like, what is this song about? And I'm like explaining it and talking about it, and I was like, girls, all we fucking needed was a sexy Christmas song, and yes. here it is. And here it is. It is so sexy and flirty and fun and Bunky and like ask for what you want a b it's totally okay to bat your eyes and be like please i would like you to bring me a ring and i don't mean on the phone (laughs) (laughs) she's so coy and i just really love that song i also love the song because it's blatantly telling all children in america that santa's not real (laughs) and they're just like yeah Santa baby. Santa baby. Um, I love that song. I love Eartha Kitt. We have to cover we her. We do. I just, I was listening to it and I was realizing what a rare gem that song is that we just totally accept yeah. this like a sexy Christmas ballad. Sexual, like that assault should on destroy, Santa. should destroy children's perception of Christmas, but it doesn't somehow. But they don't even know. But I uh, also want to say anti-promo <laughs> is oh no. the other Christmas song that goes, it goes pop when it brings boop when it blows. I need to play what? this song. I don't know what that song I is. I will play it for you. It's the worst Christmas song of all time. Okay. It's the one where it's like, I don't know what it's ever been and i don't know if i ever will i swear to god Allie, <laughs> i am a miss Krista. I, I'm, I'm a fan of christmas songs and i have no idea what you're Ms. talking Krista, about back me this is a real <laughs> song this is a real song okay we'll determine after this and we'll keep you posted next week on hers from the rocks it is horrible um, but anyway promo eartha kit anti-promo that song okay i am going to recommend a movie uh, fiance and I don't watch a lot of movies cause we tend to fall asleep. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but this is a movie that actually, um, other sister-in-law Olivia recommended. And I've been watching the trailer for years because the that's other. typically what happens is I watch a trailer <laughs> for just years and then I finally watch the movie. You're a mess. This is the movie about time. Have you seen it? No. It is Rachel McAdams and Bill Weasley. Um, from- <laughs> You know who I'm talking about. I, I don't do. know his real name. Do. Um, you know, he's really actually Mad-Eye Moody's son. In real life? Yeah, the actor. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it, though. Super weird. Um, but I, we picked this movie. I was like, I've always wanted to see it. Now it's on Netflix. So I'm going to watch it. And Olivia said it was really good. So we watched it. And it was the most delightful movie I've seen in a long time. I love a delight. It is a romantic 
movie, but like time travel is an element, but it's not sci-fi at all. Like there's no like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, like they even acknowledge it. They're like, he's like, what about the butterfly effect? And he goes, eh, we haven't really run into a problem. <laughs> We're not doing the circle theory, the linear theory. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just time travel for love. And I love it. And it's so good. And Rachel McAdams is so beautiful and lovely in it. And like, I just, it was such a beautiful movie. And it also like makes you just want to get on a plane and fly to England, which I thought was very fit for me during Anne Boleyn. Mm. Um, mm. It was just, it's honestly such a good movie. And like Casey and I have not been able to stay awake in a movie for a long time. And we were like riveted. Um, and then we were looking at a bunch of Airbnb postings. Also, um, isn't. Rachel McAdams a treat oh, and a treasure to come out of I'm Mean Girls with, with like that like a queen like she, a true queen she has I like and because I was talking to Casey about that after we watched the movie I was like isn't that crazy that that's Regina George like you can't you just can't I just I love her and I love that movie and it's just delightful to watch it's like Anna Kendrick coming out of Twilight like a yes. hero like a true hero I, I love the interview where she was like oh my god I forgot I was in that movie <laughs> um, <laughs> really <laughs> oh um but yeah so great movie I really highly recommend you watch it it's like, honestly and you can watch it anytime but mm. it would be lovely to watch over the holidays um so and it made me cry really hard I had to change my contacts um <laughs> so that's it thank Come. you a sincere thank you to everyone who requested women for this season. We couldn't have done it without you, obviously. Um, we've learned so much. We've learned so much. We're going to keep taking requests, but now we're also going to be able to pick them. <laughs> it, but really a heartfelt thank you because you stretched us beyond what we thought we could do. There that was is some true. That we really were like, oh my gosh, I know nothing about this woman. So yeah. it says a lot that you... I mean, it says a lot for the world that every woman that we've talked about is somebody we may have not even known about. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it means so much of us that you trust us with their story. This person obviously means a lot to you. So we hope we did them all justice. Um, keep sending us requests because we will get to them. Um, and don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed this season, this episode. Uh, if you hated us, uh, take it to Twitter because I don't see that and I'm yeah. very sensitive. And Emily um, Biet, we still need to <laughs> know Biet, where you where are. are you? Where are you? Um, I'm trying to send you something. <laughs> I want to mail you things. Our Christmas uh, <laughs> present is in the works. It's very cute. We're working on it. Um, so thank you again and we love you all. Follow us on every social media thing to see what we're up to. Um, see us on Tuesdays for Cocktail Tuesdays or Tipsy Tuesdays. And But most of all, we want you to stay safe. That's number one. <laughs> Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Stay safe. Keep it tiny. And we also want you to never forget that well-behaved women have literally one color of Christmas light. That's true. <laughs> also, keep it colorful, people. Um, and they rarely make history. So, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> we'll see you next season. listening
listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.